Peter, thank you for joining me on the show. Yeah, my pleasure. Appreciate you coming out. This is the first time we've actually done this live on Easy, so that's exciting. Um, you know, you're not my typical guest. Usually we're dealing with vintage dealers and um, sellers or, you know, I'm excited to chat to you because you are an industrial designer, VP of Oakley for a long time. Um, and, you know, in the vintage world, your designs are coming back with force right now. And they seem to be, you know, you've created lots of timeless works that have shown up, um, you know, in gas stations even. Like people mm -hmm. copied these designs all over the place because they were so timeless and they were so popular for a long period of time. Um, so congrats on all the success, first of all. Oh, thank you so much. It's, uh, it is pretty interesting, right, that, you know, it, it's come back a little bit, little bit more than, than usual maybe. And uh, I think, you know, we talked before that, you know, Style and designs uh, are somewhat cyclical, right? Things come back around. Of course, yeah. And it's really, uh, it's really gratifying, and um, you know, I feel blessed that the things that I've worked on, had the opportunity to work on, have been uh, recognized as such. Yeah, you know? totally. Uh, I tend to believe good designs, you know, have will outlast the test of time. Yeah, and like when I look at fashion and, and the resurgence of styles and trends. Typically, it was like an 18-year cycle. That's kind of what I learned doing this business. And it seems like that's sort of the time period, maybe in the midst of your heyday working with Oakley, 18, 20 years. Yeah, possibly. You know, I, and here's the thing, you know, it's interesting about trends and things like that. There are going to be, there's always going to be trends that are relevant at a, at a particular point in time. Yeah. Um, but the way I design is they're all based on fundamental principles. And those don't change over time. So know? that's interesting. What are, what are, when you say fundamental principles, like what are these principles and like, how did you develop that in your own works? Sure. I mean, some of the principles um, are proportions, right? Um, proportions, there are certain forms that, uh, that you would go after that elicit certain response from you. So an example, let me think of one. You know, like, uh, let's say a stealth, the, the first stealth fighter, stealth bomber, that very angular looking pyramid thing. It's kind of like, whoa, what yeah. is that? That's kind of weird, right? Well, those kind of shapes and forms, you can imagine trying to touch it. It's not going to feel very comfy, right? It's, yeah, gonna, it's whoa, it's a little bit jagged. It's edgy, jagged. It's edgy, yeah. you know, you, you think of maybe, you know, a nice vintage, uh, you know, classic Porsche with these beautiful forms and vendors. Your eye goes to that. Your eyes follow those forms. Like, wow, you know, that, I can almost like touch that with my eyes. Same thing happens when you look at any of the things that uh, anybody's designed. You're going to look at it first and make your assessment of maybe what does that feel like? What is that, you know, how is that affecting me? And the things that I've learned in terms of fundamental principles are from design school. From yeah. all the masters and designers before my time and what has been found to work and doesn't work or what are the cause and effect of different things that you would do right along with my own experimentation of you yeah. know, trying to do things and of course like when you were looking at the designs you make obviously there's functionality to everything because these are functional products they, they're they're built to mm -hmm. serve a purpose they're glasses they're for sport you obviously have to have that element in there and then you make you design around that and and come up with something interesting that appeals to the to the customer base at that time mm -hmm. Um, I want to throw it back here. I want to like bring it, t tell us about your education, how you got into this. Cause we talked off camera and you said like, you kind of stumbled into 
this role into design yeah. maybe wasn't like something you thought about when you were really young. Right. Okay. <clears throat> um, so we can, we'll go back to, go back to high school real quick. Like, like a lot of people, you know, I went, I went to high school and when I got done, um, I grew up actually in Las Vegas, so not, not California and got out of high school and I got good grades, but I didn't really know what I wanted to do with my life. I really didn't know, but I knew I didn't want to learn about it in Las Vegas. Yeah. <laughs> right. You know, with all due respect, still my hometown. But um, so I came out to California where my siblings lived and I just went to a junior college, uh, you know, near my yeah. sister's house in Pasadena. And it was um, it's still there. Pasadena City College, a junior college. And I just took GE classes, right? I just took my GEs, getting good grades and like trying to figure out what I want to do figure out as you go. Yeah, totally. I'll, I'll learn. Totally. Yeah. My same as like my son's doing that or did that and other people. So real typical path. And one day I've got extra, you know, space in my, my schedule. I'm looking at the syllabus and I see uh, 2d design, learn the principles of color and shape and blah, blah, blah. You know, and I read it like, wow, Hey, this sounds like fun. Right. Okay, yeah. cool. I take the class. Wow. This is really cool. Right. I, I take more design classes as I'm taking all my GE classes and um, I start winning some awards and stuff. And then I remember also right away as you got into it, you were winning design awards through the school. A little bit. Yeah. Not right away. Maybe, you know, maybe a couple terms in, but my work was, I think my work was recognized as different. And, and did you have like, did you draw as a child or was, was it all, did it all just come through those college years? That's a great question. You know what? When I was a kid, I would doodle like your typical, you know, futuristic city bubble under the ocean type of yeah, stuff. Okay. Uh, but nothing. I would, that makes a lot of sense. There you go. But nothing <laughs> that I would say is like really artistic. But it's interesting. My family is very artistic. So my mother, um, you know, she was always very artistic, whether crocheting something, making something, always really beautiful. Yeah. And my father actually was very well-renowned for his calligraphy, Chinese calligraphy. So big oh, Chinese wow. characters, right? Yeah. And then my, once my oldest sister is an architect. So I actually wanted to be an architect because I thought that was cool what she did. Yeah. And then my other sister, she was, uh, she was doing illustration all the time, beautiful paintings and things. And my brother could always, for whatever, he could bust out a caricature all the time. So this was just, I don't know, I guess it was there, but I never really considered it to be anything like yeah, whatever yeah. it's cool right so it wasn't until i i think i start getting some formal training that I found out that i have some affinity towards it like wow this is really cool this is an interesting relationship of this to that and then in the classes i would take again it's a junior college right but the interesting thing is those teachers that i had they were actually um college professors at art center which is a private uh Art school okay. in Pasadena, and it's renowned worldwide. And they would teach up there and teach at the junior college. Um, oh, that's and I found out because there. they would teach there because you know it's a private college, prestige, high level of students and education. Yeah. And they would teach at the junior college because kids want to learn, but then they also get um, you know all their medical coverage because it's a state run, you know, it's a city college, right? Yeah. So they're they're covering the bases. And then I later found out that PCC. Pasadena State College is a great feeder school of talent that goes into the private school. So kids from all over the world would like apply or whatever. And the counselors at Art Center would look at them and say, Hey, this is great, but you need to work on this and this and this before you come up. Yeah. 
So why don't you enroll here at, at PCC? So they were kind of helping because it's very inexpensive, right, to go to a junior college. And then you learn all these things before you're allowed to go to something serious, right, where it's serious money and dedication. And so, and that was part of it too. It, during that time I was at PCC, one of the teachers, my first teacher that I took, took us on a field trip. Okay. And I had a tour of the campus at Art Center, which is beautiful, up in the hills, above the Rose Bowl. And I remember, God, I still remember this day, walking in to the building. It's a beautiful, beautiful building. You walk in, and the first area is a student gallery. So it's just artwork, you know? It's like beautiful products and images and drawings and different levels from your first term to your eighth term. So everything between. And I just remember walking through there and my mouth agape. Oh my God. (laughs) And just like stumbling. And like, this is what I want to do with my life. That's like your aha epiphany moment. Like it's time. Uh, I'm going to go this path. Absolutely. I didn't even know that. uh, It was the thought was like, there's a profession that does this, right? Yeah. So yeah, at that point, then I decided that's what I'm going to do. And then I dove in deeper into all the classes you could take at PCC. Yeah. And that's when I started winning stuff. Oh, cool. Right. And being recognized for- It sounds like it came pretty natural once you kind of like dedicated yourself to design. Like it, it flowed. Like, was it a hard process to learn or did you like, like, did it just come out of you and it just felt natural? I think, I think it, if I stop and think about it, I guess it probably feel natural, but I don't want to say that thinking that it's just, easy that it is easier or natural. I think yeah. because I wanted to do it. So my brain receptors are like open to all this new information and these relationships and things I didn't understand or even know that there was an understanding of. So once I was able to open my mind to what this whole design world was like, how to create something from nothing and the whys and, and this and that, what's good, what's bad, you know, what's subjective, what's absolute, you know, yeah. that it wasn't hard. It was just intriguing, right? You know, you're just, you're just absorbing. I'm learning. And then I'm trying to practice what I'm learning. And maybe because I could understand it, I could emulate or at least take what I'm learning and apply it in a way that was recognized a little bit, more so than maybe some of my fellow students at the time. Yeah. You know. So you had told us too that one of your first projects was making a bootleg sunglass. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> at college, you went through the process, you made a mold, you were telling us, like, run us through this process. I think that's super interesting because it's kind of that was probably your first kick at the can of this. And you know, there is, you know, we just want to know how that all happened, especially sure. early on before like sure. all the technology. Well, I will say that. I love how you phrase it, but actually that's not my real first foray in either designing something or, or copying something. Okay. <laughs> uh, I would say that happened at a very early age and I actually probably neglected to think about it was though I didn't draw, I was very creative and we didn't have a lot of money. Yeah. Right. But my family believed in education and they believed in uh, creative endeavors. So I remember my architect sister giving me Legos. Oh, nice. And so, and Christmas, birthdays, not just my sister. Yeah, I, I love Legos. Legos. I, used, and oh, I still man. play with Legos with my kids dude, to this day. <laughs> dude, I swear to God, it is the most amazing thing. In fact, anyway, let me, now I'm yeah, going to jump in. But like, so the first foray of designing was emulating things I saw on TV. Like if this is a new toy, oh, that's a cool, like whatever gun foam thing. 
Okay, well, I can't buy it, so I'm going to make it. Yeah. Right. Oh, that's a cool spaceship. I'm going to make it. That's a cool whatever. I'm going to make it. Yeah. And sometimes it looked kind of like it. Sometimes it didn't. So I would say that's probably my first um, first try at at paying an homage by way of copying something. Yeah. Right? Well, that's great. That's, the, that's amazing to hear because, you know, maybe my kids will go in industrial design. You know, they're into it. The I'll, Legos, I'll tell the you Legos what. are the way to go. Absolutely, man. The, the Swiss know their thing. I, I swear. Um, so that would be my first foray. And Lego stories, we can, we can go into. That's a whole other chapter. You want but, to know um, these, uh, these glasses, these, these, the process of, of making the copies. and Absolutely. That, yeah. So that whole idea came from, which is ironic, that so in, in design school, I'm at, I'm at Art Center now. And, um, you know, in, in the in the mode of thinking design everything. And I always appreciated Oakley eyewear. It's super cool, it's different. Yeah. Man, that's just sick. It's kind of expensive. I'm a broke ass student. <laughs> what am I gonna do? I want cool stuff, but I'm a broke ass student. Now, I will say that during this time too, I actually, of my own hobby, would collect sunglasses. Okay. Right? I actually had you know, a decent collection, maybe 15 to 20 things. And I would go to like, you know, the fashion district in LA or I'd be on the beach, Venice or someplace. And I'm picking up cool things that I think are cool. And this is not particularly brands or designs nope. that are nice. There's just like designs them. I think yeah. are interesting cool. and, and stuff. Um, and nothing was probably more expensive than maybe 12 bucks, 15 bucks, right? Because yeah. I'm on a, a student budget. So in that mode... You know, I, I see these Oakleys, man, I, I want that, you know, I want to use that. And, you know, and, and you're building models all the time. So you're in shops. So you got to wear, you know, shop glasses that are crappy. So I decided, you know what I'm going to do? I've got the education to make a mold. So I did have enough money to buy one pair for sunglasses. I loved them. And that's what happened first. And I like, loved them. What style was this at that point? It was the razor blade. The razor blade. Okay. Yeah. I don't have a razor blade here, but uh, it was a razor blade and it was, it's a shield uh, a cylindrical lens, beautiful arm that comes down and does what we call this hammer, hammer stem thing. Yeah, and that was, Very that was to like block out the side sun too, right? No, it's the lenses by that. That was to position the uh, area, to position the correct location of the arc uh, on yeah. your ear. Okay. So that arc needed to be lower than the top trajectory. So it was a design decision. I think, I believe Jim designed that frame that coming off the top of the frame, but you had your ears down here. So how do you get this down here? So you went angle and put a nice curve. And like that design, like, oh my God. Yeah. I so awesome, right? Yeah. Totally. And that's a great example of being unique, creative, and solving a problem. Yeah. Right? It's not just because, which, you know, I've seen designs that people do that just because, like, okay, whatever. You know, it's really superficial. But Anyway, so I had a pair I bought for myself. I saved up or maybe it was Christmas money. I don't know. I loved them. I'm like, dude, I want to have, I want to wear this for my shop class, but I don't want to scratch these ones up. And they're, you know, I think they were blue and white. And so I decided I'd make a mold. So using silicone, I made a silicone mold, proper way, registrations, everything of both the center frame, the stem, the left, right. I made a mold, made a couple, had some failures until I got it right, put a lens in there and People are seeing me wear this in the shop. They're like, dude, that's so cool. Yeah. Maybe. So one of my first self projects was paying homage or knocking off Oakley. <laughs> unknowingly. I think you've done enough. They, they don't care at this point. It's okay. <laughs> but the, the interesting thing is unknowingly, I end up working 
Berkeley, creating new things for other people to knock off, apparently. Exactly. Right? Yeah. So it's which a, probably it's some really, of the most knocked off glasses maybe gosh. out there, which is crazy to think, you know? Yeah. And that's like the ultimate like test of what you've done, right? Because everybody wanted it. I suppose so. And maybe they, they take the same tact, you know, they, they want it, they, they won't afford it or businesses want to sell the same thing for cheaper. Yeah, totally. You know, they say imitation is the highest form of flattery, I believe. Yeah, right. And I, I believe it, you know, um, so, and again, like when you look at that, you just gotta, you're always staying one step ahead. Of course you guys work cause you're always putting out new designs, right? They can yeah. copy them and you're on to the next one already. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. Um, an interesting thing I thought about, you know, looking at your time at Oakley, you know, you have a very distinct design style, um, you know, sleek, futuristic, industrial, I guess I would, I would say. Um, and Oakley, uh, Oakley started from my view of it, like more surf, maybe more like uh, the logo was different. You know, it, it definitely made a transition during your era. Um, now, when you got with the company, was that like something spoke about or was that kind of like you just came in, started designing what you thought was cool and then they, then it just went that way? Like explain that that transition period and how you got into the company. Yeah. Um, so I think when Jim found me, um, I think he was in the mode of evolving the brand. Okay. Changing, growing. And when I got to Oakley... He had already changed the logo to some degree. So, you know, I think if you've been around for a while or you can look at the old product, there is there is the um, factory pilot logo. That's what we call it. The one that's got an O and all these arcs, right? Kind of connects the whole... It connects the whole thing. And it's, you know, relatively rectangular, right, from, from that. And then Jim changed it where he stretched it out. And the O was no longer an, a, a perfect circle. It was more of a pill shape. Okay. Right, so radii, two straight lines, another radii, and then all the connections, and that was actually you know um, engraved on lenses, and we started using that as a logo. And in fact, here it is. It's on this one. I'm sorry, your audience can't see, but yeah, we can throw some pictures. You, up. you can yeah, see okay. that, right? So that was that was pre your time. That was just before my time. Okay. And so when I came on board, um, as I was creating designs, working with Jim, showing him stuff, um, he really liked what I was doing and for myself, because quite frankly, I got into design because I thought this would be fun. Yeah. That's the only real reason I got into it. So when I would draw things on projects I liked, oftentimes I do little logos of it. And in fact, um, you know, like zeros, M frame, whatever, those are the, the logos on the packaging are the logos I drew and Jim really liked them. He's like, wow. oh, that's really cool. You know, and we should use it. Oh, really? Okay, cool. So he was seeing what I was doing, designing and doing the graphics for them. And then one day he just asked me, hey, what do you think about working on the, our logo? I said, yeah, sure. You know, I mean, as, as casual as that is, is how casual it was. Yeah. Um, not knowing how magical that moment was, right? Yeah, for sure. Looking back. But and I think because, you know, his vision of where Oakley, where he wants Oakley, like I would say, you know, Jim has always been ahead of his time, always. So, you know, where we were was just where we were, but his mind was in the future. Yeah. Right. So we could relate. And, and so we're talking about the future and what he's thinking and how he perceives it. And then I'm, I'm drinking the Kool-Aid and I'm like making the Kool-Aid. I'm all about it. <laughs> yeah, right. Totally. And so designing the logo 
um, which quite frankly, most people don't know I, I, I did. Yeah, I was going to bring that up. I, I read that. It's amazing. Yeah. I, and after, in fact, people, when people find that out, they're more impressed with that than any of the stuff I've done, which is interesting. Well, because right? it kind of outlives all the product even. It's still something that you see yeah. on product now. And it's Absolutely. it's amazing. And it's branding. It's what's ingrained in people's um, memories. And Absolutely. It's a, it's a mark known around the world, yeah. right? And then, and then it went onto the clothing and all the other things mm -hmm. that you might not have even been designing, but it was still right. your design. Yeah. And it's, it's a real... I mean, it's, it's super cool, right? It's a compliment from that standpoint. But, but back to your question, I think it, you know, it was the right place and the right time, Drew, just like anything else, right? Yeah. He found what he perceived as the right person at the right time. Same for me. I found the right brand, the right boss, the right environment to let me do my best work. And, you know, from that and knowing how well that worked with a great team that was there, uh, with very talented people, we created some amazing things. And therefore, later as a leader, that's all I did. My secret of success in that was just try and create the best environment so everyone can do their best work. Right. Yeah. Totally. I mean, it's not a hard thing to do. And you know, this place well, is super say, cool too. You say I that, but thing. it's not, it, it can be a hard thing to do. I it's think. not a hard principle to understand. No, for sure. But you're right. To achieve that takes a lot of work. And I think, you know, it sounds, it sounds magical in the sense, like he, he found you, you were in the right mindset to be doing what he was kind of already evolving into doing maybe. Yeah. Those things don't just always happen. Like it's yeah. tough. Like you could look for people yeah. in, on the right uh, path for a long time and not find the right person. And, mm -hmm. you know, I think there's, there's a bit of luck. There's a bit of synergy. There's a bit of like manifestation. There's so many things that go into yeah. that, making that all work. Yeah. And it sounds like what you guys had at that time was like what it needed and it had a perfect synergy there. Dude, it, it was, it was a magical time. I mean, different people have asked me about it and I gave a description that someone say, wow, yeah, that's really good. A former colleague of mine, we were talking yesterday, but like at that time, dude, I, it was like, it was like Willy Wonka in the chocolate factory. <laughs> well, I swear to God, love that. Yeah. The, the stuff that we would do and the conversations and like, Hey, how about this? Oh yeah. Boom. How about that? Wow. You know, and like, and also it's a little bit, you know, of, of us against the world mentality. Right? Yeah. Like, I don't care what all the big guys are doing. It makes no difference to me. We're going to do what we're going to do. Yeah. And they so can, important. you know, and I don't give a shit. And, and I would tell you that part of that spirit is important in creating some pretty impactful designs. Now, you know, we use words like brave. That's pretty brave, right? Yeah, totally. But, and I agree. And I love the results of some of that bravery, but I will tell you being brave also means you have to be willing to accept that there is a high potential of failure. And, you know, I think artists understand that, right? Yeah. And businesses do not typically understand that. The tolerance for failure for a business is very low. Yeah. So that's part of the synergy I felt like I had with Jim and that, that the aura around him, that dude was a gambler, man. He'd put it on the line. It's like win or die. It's <laughs> you pick. So, and him being your boss, wanting great designs and us risking like, wow, that's really scary, crazy, cool. Yeah. Isn't it great? Yeah. Like, oh, I got goosebumps. Right. That's the kind of thing. That's why I call it Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Who is like, what kind of boss is like that? Typically not, you know, not, not a, a rational thinking, you know, corporate person, right. Yeah. Of, totally. of a brand. So the fact that he, you know, he started Oakley, it's built the way he envisioned it, uh, allowed me to, be helpful and be additive and be creative and work together, you know, um, 
and his ideas were similar, just so amazing and crazy where it's like, oh, what? I had to take take a step back, what? And then we talk about it, like, okay, and then try to figure out how to make that actually happen. And then when it happens, it's like, oh my God, we made that happen. Yeah. So I want to get into like your design inspiration and, and some of your products, of course, but I t- a little bit more on this topic. Like it's super interesting. I didn't even think we were going to go here, but um you know, you're saying he's, he's a crazy cool boss. Like how did he, how did he manage this? And, and was there failures? Like during this, you're saying like a lot of bravery happening. You guys are doing things maybe that's like way left field or whatever's happening. And mm-hmm. was there some things that were like this totally flopped or was it, did it all kind of work out or, and how did he, I guess, how did he manage that? Because, you know, of course it's like, that can that can work out and sometimes it doesn't work out and then you have to obviously take those consequences maybe big financial losses or whatever come along with that like well i think you know it's speculation on my part of how he handled things but like i said you know i would view jim as you know a legit gambler in the sense that you know if you're gonna if you're gonna go down that path you're gonna have wins and you have to accept the losses Right. So, you know, I'm sure he had strategies for that, but to answer your question about, did the brand have some failures and things? And I would answer that. Yeah. There's probably some products we made that didn't make as much money. Right. But that's offset by a mountain load of the things that are, you know, our customers and consumers just ate up. Right. Yeah. So there's that, but I would tell you that the things you see, for example, that made it to the world, um, are the refined versions of the crazy ass ideas and experiments we had prior to releasing. So one way, um, you know, and and maybe your audience would appreciate this one way of creating something, let's say we like to think it's amazing is when you're designing, creating, you're going past that. So like if this, if this is the realm of acceptability, yeah. Right. Like, like typical society, here's, here's acceptability. When I was at Oakley, our, our task was always trying to be pushing these boundaries, right? I'm not, we're not playing it here. Yeah. There's no fun playing it here, right? We try to keep pushing the boundaries out, out, out. So what we created oftentimes like, oh man, dude, that is sick, but that is just too much. So we'd have to scale back on our, ourselves. Yeah. And then, you know, through some maturity, right? Figure it out. And then we would produce something that we feel is that emulates what the brand stands for, which, you know, it, is to be unique, performance-based. We don't want to be like everybody else. You know, it is for the brave and the bold. Um, and something very functional and and something that you will, if you look at it, it will really resonate with you. You know, I think Oakley in the early years was really for a lot of people that wanted to show how individual they actually are because we are all individuals, right? And... But some of us want to fade and fade, fade into the background. And some of us want to be up front in the front row, right? So I think Oakley was a little bit more for people in the front row or the front half or whatever. And as more people got there, more people in the back would feel comfortable and come up. Yeah, I, I do see that like through my my life, like Oakley as a brand. And I, you see like ads or certain athletes who are, are more on the wild side typically riding or skiing yeah. or whatever for Oakley. And they were always like the wild and crazy, yeah. maybe partiers, but also amazing athletes. And like, it was those people who were looking to be recognized, you know? Yeah. And, you know, and, and they have fans and, you know, they have, they have fans that aren't 
exactly crazy, but they appreciate it. Totally. You know, so it's the same thing, you know. So with that, like I said, the designs were brave, and you know there were going to be some that didn't work out as well as we thought. So we can yeah. call that a failure. But certainly, the attempt to create something amazing was yeah. always the goal. Yeah, and you obviously can see that the brand never wavered, and it went on to do amazing things throughout a lot of a big span of time. So, yeah. obviously, couldn't have had that big of a loss at any point. Um, you know, I, I, I liken it to like you know, you look at like runway fashion, and these designers will come out and do like a crazy runway. Oh, yeah. You're like, you're like, no one's ever gonna wear that, maybe. But we can tailor this down, make a palatable mm-hmm. version that's still interesting and crazy and cool and represents what we're doing but yet um you know maybe those designs start in something another realm you know uh, yeah absolutely i mean you have you know um you can you can attack things many different ways but one way if you're gonna uh you can create designs that are purely meant as brand building and awareness right so you know you create something that's really bold and somewhat shocking whoa you know, and people were like, whoa, that's crazy. I can't, that's not quite for me. Oh, but you know, the other stuff they make is pretty cool. Yeah. I can, I can adapt that. Right. Totally. Um, so those things definitely happen, right. In terms of how you design. So it just really depends what your objectives are when you're creating something. Um, you know, is it something to melt into the background? Is it something to lead the pack? Is it something to work within the pack? You know, what, what is it? trying to do and those are really important things that need to guide your creative efforts yeah you know and that's sort of as like a brand is tiered out like you have the things for every everyday user things mm-hmm. for the people that want to stand out it sounds it looks like you designed on the other end of that which is the things that typically stand out or did you have your hands in kind of all of it for better or worse i had my hands in all of it um First, let me say this, that I am not the only designer for Oakley. Of course, right? yeah. And so there are many super talented designers. Um, I hired quite a few of them, you know, during my time. And then and they've evolved and taken the brand, continue to take the brand farther and in, in, in all different directions. But when I was doing a lot of the design work, I did work on a lot of the um, flagship products. And then... But I also had to do, I did products that were more the, you know, back in the background, the volume pieces that keep the lights on forever, right? And uh, so I've done a little bit of everything. I think oftentimes I just get recognized for the things that people, you know, just the, the, the cool things people have in mind. But I've literally done hundreds of designs. Wow. And like, um, I have over a hundred design and utility patents in my name for Oakley. Right. And wow. So the designer gets named on the patent. You used to, depending on the depending on the impact of the design. That's so interesting. So, but obviously they the company owns the, the yeah, rights yeah, to it. Yeah. Course. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's it's for Oakley so that they can protect the intellectual because this is intellectual property, right? These designs. Course, yeah. There's something that's created with strategy, tactics, and and everything else. So it belongs to Oakley, and they patent. They used to patent protect almost everything. So then they can go enforce it, right? So, yeah, which I mean, Oakley's job of enforcing bootlegs and copies on their patents is probably a f- lot of full-time people's job. It, it used to be, yeah. These 
full-time department and and they'd be working internationally with like Interpol and whoever, you name whatever wow, agency. Yeah. Dude, it'd be like, we'd get a little memo like, oh yeah, we just shut this down, we confiscated this, oh, it's worth about three million bucks. Yeah, like half a or million whatever. pairs or whatever. Yeah, whatever it is. And, and really, you know, it's it's a good thing because it protects the brand, right? Like, let's say- Oh, you need it, of course. You're legit- you're a legit customer and you, and you buy something and you're proud, you wear it, it works for you. You see some other dude wearing something that has a logo, but that doesn't look right. It looks like crap and stuff. It's like, it pulls everything down, right? Oh yeah. So yes. the brand integrity and all Absolutely. That. Yeah. So they used to do that when maybe we had, you know, less things out there, but I think over time and maybe business decisions, I don't believe it's done as often. Um, I'm not there now, so I can't speak yeah. to what's happening now. But all I can say is, yeah, during my time, I think all this stuff is you know, has patents and whatever else. My name's on quite a few things. Um, but I have, to your original question, designed all levels from flagship to mainstream uh, products, and uh, which is fine. You know, it's, yeah, it's good. As a, as a di- but don't get me wrong. Everyone wants to sign up for the flagship, right? Because, you know, you get to create, usually break new ground, and, you know, the budget for that project is, you know, sometimes a blank check, so do what you want, you know? So... Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's, it's all yeah, included. That's like, now you look at a company like that, working your way up to that position, like that's like the coveted, the coveted spot, get to design sure. the things with the blank check, right? Like oh, you gotta, of course. You got to put your hours in on the, on the floor before you get to the top, right? A- absolutely. Because a blank check to an untrained person could be a recipe for disaster. Yeah. Probably. Right. Like it could be so financially, you know, um, lopsided that it just doesn't make sense yeah. no matter how you look at it. So let's talk about your design inspiration, you know, how you come up with these ideas, where, where, you know, what are you looking at in the world to create these designs? You, we talked off camera about symmetry, symmetry, and it comes up when I read about you in articles and things that seems to be very important to you. And like, what does that mean to you? And sure. Um, yeah. I mean, uh, symmetry is one of the main characteristics of, defined beauty right Uh, you guys may have you know seen things where you take a quote-unquote beautiful person and you know bisect their face with a line and and they've done measurements where beautiful people beautiful people tend to have very symmetrical faces right typically yeah so this is like something that they've they've run data on and done studies on that's what i believe right And, and when i look at it like okay yeah it seems reasonable Right. Yeah, totally. So therefore, the majority—I mean, all of the sunglasses—they're they're symmetrical left to right. But even if you look at the logo, the Oakley logo, right? That ellipse. Yeah. It's a—it's—it's it's symmetrical on multiple panel planes, right? Like left to right, up and down, and it's designed to look as if—I mean, it's a very simple logo, right? Very simple. But sometimes it's the best. Exactly, and the idea is that it's meant to look as if it's moving through space quickly right linearly it's going it's moving it's traveling and it's so it's like i think of it as like could be like a black hole in space it could be like a bubble moving through water like there's so many things that it could be and you visualize different things right absolutely when i'm thinking about it it's 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 this oh traveling fast precisely with performance through space it's an abstract eyeball yeah right and it's all these other things so symmetry certainly has its place, right? And But that's not to say that asymmetry isn't beautiful by any means. It just depends what we're talking about. But if your question is really, where do I get the inspiration for some of the work I do? Um, it varies. 
But one way I like to explain it is if I'm designing, let's say in this case, I'm designing a watch. Yeah. Or you could pick a sunglass. If I'm designing a watch, the last place I look for inspiration is another watch. Somebody else's watch. If I'm doing sunglasses, the last place I ever look, if at all, is another sunglass. Because if you do that, which is very common, people get inspiration from whatever, you're going to have that in your head. So when you're trying to create something, you're going to ultimately regurgitate that out in some way. Right. Even if consciously you're not trying, it's in there. It's too late. If you're not trying. Yeah. Because, oh, I like, you know, I like that watch. Let me do a watch that I like. Let's just think about what I just said. Yeah. Right. I just tied that together. Right. So, like, and, I, and I equate it to like, I want to, let's show this is the, when I look at this watch, like for some reason, I think Terminator two or like a robot and it, it like there's curves to it, but it's also like very, uh, I don't know. The thickness of the lens gives it like, it just has a robotic feel to me. It's, and like, maybe just talk about your, your, the way you went about this one. Well, so on this one, the inspiration, well, okay. So the inspiration of this one is not a watch. The inspiration of this one comes from eyewear. This uh, one came from a specific design that we happen to have on the couch. I'm not on the couch, on the table. Yeah. Okay. So this is a pro M frame. Okay. So now we're going to look at this first and then you're going to look at that. So if you look at the pro M frame, you look at all these compound, very fluid dynamic forms. Yeah. Look at this wing, right? This wing-like feature designed to slice through the air, right? And all these beautiful, now, you see this wing? Now look at this. You see the wing? Yeah, you see it here. You see it there, right? And all these compound forms and this fluid dynamic form and yeah. compound surfaces. This thick sapphire lens is a continuation of that form. And the only way to get that to happen, it's gotta be a thick lens, which acts as a slight magnifier. Yes, yeah, so right? yeah. So, Again, all the little logic and rationales and connection points, they start working within that theme. So this is kind of the aesthetic. So speaking about like change and stuff, when I came on board with Oakley, a lot of the aesthetic language was very geometric, right? Flats and just, you know, stretched out boxes and stuff. But one of the things I brought was the idea of um, accelerating curves. So for example, a circle is just a radius, right? Yeah. But you look at our logo, the logo, right, is an ellipse. And what it has is it has accelerating curves. So that means the curve starts to change. It gets tighter as it's going to the tip and starts opening up again. You look at these surfaces. These surfaces are all changing. There's accelerating uh, curves and curvatures. Same here. So that language applied to these products was new, right? That was what started changing the language of Oakley at that time. And and you can see in a lot of things. And again, throughout time, it changes. Yeah, again. that's interesting to understand. So, like you're saying, like you could go with a with a standard radius curve that is going to give you like a very circular mm -hmm. thing. And this, you you created your own design lines based off like how you described it, like with with your own curvatures and your own yeah, just just the, the forms the forms that I thought um, denoted speed and performance. And it's not like I invented that, you know, it's just like yeah. taking, taking those forms from other areas. Like for example, auto racing, right. You know, race cars and things of the time are these beautiful, you know, fluid and aerodynamic forms. Well, why wouldn't we do that here? Right. Yeah. Cause you got athletes 
and and uh, people, you know, traveling at high rates of speed on a bike, running, doing whatever. Why wouldn't you want what they wear to be aerodynamic? Totally. And again, this is in the '90s, right? So if you think about it today, of course, right? The yeah, and I'm sure a lot of advancements in this tech came during that time from the '80s when it was like very rudimentary. Oh yeah, this is like in the beginning of the world, the, the catting things up, right? You guys have heard the term CAD, computer-aided yeah. designs. Everything's catted up today. Back then, we were on the forefront. Yeah. Literally on the forefront. That brings me to another point. I read that Oakley had the third ever 3D printer behind NASA. Is this, a, is this true? I don't, I, I can't tell you if it was behind NASA, but we definitely were one of the first in the West Coast is my understanding. Yeah. And that was, again, due to Jim, I think, going to a trade show, seeing something and seeing this technology and thinking, okay, we're, we got to figure out how to use this. Yeah. Right. And then smart. I mean, now you look at it, it's everywhere, right? Oh yeah. Now it's, it's ubiquitous. Right. Yeah. But back then it was like, you get, you're gambling again, right? You're taking a chance, speculating that this has some value. And so within that, you know, uh, you know, my buddy, Neil Houston, you know, uh, Oakley guy took on the challenge of learning the software and working with the equipment and the software and, and using, um, alias, which is a software that back then it was just car studios using it. Oh, you wow. know? And so we're bringing in again from a different industry, having to rebuild it to fit what you guys are doing, trying to figure out how, if at all possible. Right. Yeah. Uh, today people don't question it, but back then it was a question mark. Totally. Right. So you've got that technology happening in the background. We've got, you know, creative things thinking. And then your, and your question is, where does the inspiration come from? And I said, you know, the last place you look at is the, the same, right? So adjacent products. Yeah. You look at yeah, for, but for Oakley, because that watch is our first watch, the pro M frame was a flagship piece. It made sense to use that as reference, but typically for the other things, I look at everything else. Right. And, and I explain it this way, like, it's just like you don't look at the, the thing you're creating as inspiration. The exact same reason why there are laws and reasons why you don't marry your cousin. <laughs> it's just it's just no bueno, right? It's yeah. just it's just a bad gene pool to go from because you're not going to create something good and unique. Yeah, incestuous design. It happens, right? Yeah, totally. And, and there, maybe there's a place for it. But in terms of asking me how I do it, that's the route. I don't take that route, right? I'm looking at other things. You might look at a car. I'll look at a car, but I will also crawl underneath the car and look at the, the suspension and some of the other parts and bits and pieces that someone created. Um, you know, it's, I also look at that watch and, and the curves and I see some nature, I guess. I see like, like a, a skate or a um, mm -hmm. stingray mm -hmm. or something, right? Sure. Sure. Uh, that came to mind when I was looking at that watch, and I and I know you had said too, like you you are a spear fisherman. I guess you like yep. going in the ocean. Like, does that influence design? Were you doing it back then? Yeah, you know, I I did. I wasn't doing it back then when I did some of these designs. That that happens to be a relatively new passion. Okay. I've been doing it over over a decade. But but to your point about seeing a stingray, I think that's very. That's very appropriate. I would, wasn't necessarily thinking of a stingray, but I was thinking of things that are moving quickly, right? Forms yeah, that can And, through, and yeah. what you're describing is what's called biomimicry. Okay. Right. Biomimicry uh, is is looking at um, plant, animal, nature as inspiration, right? And bio being you know life, mim we're mimicking that. So 
I can see, yeah. Now that you say it, like, duh, yeah, I can see a stingray. Yeah, exactly. they, they're beautiful and elegant in the water, and they can yeah. they can haul ass when they have to, right? Yeah, totally. So there's certainly that aspect. But and it's like nature, nature's created these things over millions and millions of years of evolution, so yep. they perfected a lot of things, right? Exactly. To be, Everything. To be yeah, to, to, to perform with the least amount of resistance, the highest amount of efficiency, typically, right? So there's a lot of really beautiful things from nature, certainly. Yeah. But yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. So like, I guess what, what are some of your favorites? Like what, what were some of the projects that you're most excited to work on? Uh, you Man. said hundreds. I know it's probably hard to pick. And it's way so hard to pick. Each one has, a, I have favorites for different things. So let's, yeah. you know, I brought some watches probably it's, Man, it's tough because with watches, I, I really enjoyed everything I did. But usually your first and your last have significance, right? So my first one would be Time Bomb, which a lot of people know, right? It's, it's yeah. this one here. And my last watch with the program was 10 years later. Um, you know, they asked me if I would work on the watch again because my primary job was the eyewear, okay. right? So, and I love working on watches, to be honest, because it, it was a nice break from doing eyewear. It was a different, you know, thought process and uh, exercise and everything. So it was a nice break. And so my last watch was the Time Bomb 2. Not, not a big stretch for naming, <laughs> but certainly the idea was to elevate, you know, if you look at the two. So these are 10 years apart, these two watches. These are 10 years apart in development, right? They both have mechanical movements, meaning you don't need a battery. There is an internal battery, but you don't need to change that battery. Just your, your, your you know, bodily motion powers a... Uh, a pendulum that cranks the little generator so oh, there's wow. always powered you can see it back here as it moves yeah. right and so the idea of oh, that 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 will keep it powered that little pendulum. yeah as we well, think about it as we walk yeah it's going off it's going to keep time. going it's a little tiny charge little tiny charge wow. and it and it powers it right so um so the significance about this one is because this is the last watch i ever did for oakley it's it's kind of a big deal so if i knew that i wanted to make it special at the same time, special means different, but it's an homage, 10th anniversary, so that means it has to pay homage, so there's got to be some similarity. That's a great challenge. Yeah. Right? I imagine. So I was like, all right, we're in it, so roll up the sleeves and start iterating and thinking about taking this somewhat, it's an iconic shape now, but back then, you know, just starting, like, how do I, how do I evolve this? What can I do? So I came up with, it's a larger case design right? Because over time, the acceptability of size has changed, right? From small watches to big watches. And, you know, they're both still titanium, but we show the titanium in a different way. It's brushed. Um, this has segments in the metal band that move. This also, but I wanted to improve it and offer another dimension of movement. Because if you look at your wrist, it's not a perfect cylinder. Yeah. Right? We got bumps and bones and whatever. Well, this, this design can twist. Ah. So this That's design, sort of like the exoskeleton design with the, with the seam yeah, here. Kind of like an armadillo, so to yeah, speak, Yeah, right? totally, yeah. We go back to biomimicry. <laughs> and, uh, you know, this can conform to your wrist more ideally than this one can. So that's an improvement, improvement, right? Yeah. And if you think about it, you know, if Oakley and myself, if we're all about innovation, the definition of innovation is literally to make better. That's it. Yeah. Right. It doesn't have to be some crazy, you know, rocket ship or anything like that. It's just to make it better. Make it better. And better, that's open term, but all in all yeah. the ways, right? In yeah. any of the ways. And I think for Oakley and for myself, that means to make it work better 
feel better, be more comfortable, more durable, whatever, but always in the pursuit of making it better for someone. Right. Yeah. So that was one of the big things. And when I did that, it was an opportunity because it all came together to show, you know, this, this polymer spine, right. So you have, you can have this cool color, you've got these platelets and then, you know, this project was happening around the same time, either before, or after our C6 project, which is a flagship frame, Oakley's most expensive eyewear, where we used um, like 80 laminate layers of carbon fiber and we did some CNCing. So that was done to this. So this bezel here, this area around the face, yeah, is just basically this continuation of the case. But on this one, it is a separate piece. And that glass you're talking about is this glass right here, right? Yeah, yeah, this is, this is C6. Um, C6, by the way, is a periodic table um, element of carbon. Okay. So nice. that's where the C6 is, yeah, because perfect. this is all carbon fiber, almost all. Um, the spine is actually beta titanium, and there's a couple other little bits, but primarily this is uh, carbon fiber. So, and it articulates and does everything. So if you notice, this has this really cool articulation. Hey, this has this really cool articulation. You'll notice this has kind of an interesting diamond faceted icon. Yeah. Hey, guess what? This has the same. Oh, wow. And that so, one's so small and detailed. So the idea was this was kind of like, we did this little thing where these were part of this elite series. Yeah. And um, I think it was, it wasn't overly longly lived, you know? Yeah. Um, but so, that was the idea that taking some of the advancements and developments from, you know, a newer innovative product, applying it to a more, at least 10 year evolved watch. Um, that's where Time Bomb 2 kind of evolved, right? It's got a carbon face and there's all this other stuff. Um, it's very cool. And then you keep co co cohesion through the line and mm -hmm. things are, are working together. And, yeah. And you see here too, like, you know, this internal skeleton mm -hmm. looks Spine, really cool yeah. from the inside. And um, you can see the little spring member there to keep it in tension so that this, yeah. thing, this thing will stay closed. Doesn't yeah. flop around, right? Totally. Like, like you know, a nice car door, right? You can you close a cheap car, it sounds like a cheap car. You close an expensive, you know, European car, perhaps it sounds like quality. Yeah. Same idea. All those little um, senses that we get reinforces someone's notion if something is quality or not, right? Just like from an apparel standpoint, you touch it, you get the hand of it, like oh, this is thin and crappy, or like wow, feel that, you know, it's got a nice hand, it's you know, the right amount of you know uh, softness or whatever else. It's all these little uh, receptors we have of sense that build a picture of this is quality or not, you know, on top of obviously our eyes. Right? Yeah, and yeah, that's the difference of when you when you touch something and feel something, and it's interesting too because you look at you know, I'm not really in design. I'm more in, say, marketing and things too. But it's a whole other department at Oakley that people that have to ha take your designs and then go and market it, right? Sure. And, you know, there's probably a point where you're saying, Jim, you guys went through a transition together and you're looking at, like, that's a $5,000 glass, you said, right? Was I retail? Believe, I think it was four or 5000 Unfortunately, I can't quite remember. Yeah, yeah either retail. way, it's, yeah. it's a high-ticket item, right? That's a high-ticket item. Yeah. And probably back before you were there, like, there wasn't ever a high-ticket item like that. I don't believe there was something of that Cause, nature because i don't think the brand was at a point where it could 
that, that could work. That kind of product, yeah. Well, yeah, that that like your audience or your customers can accept that from you, right? Yeah. Yet, I think it took time for Oakley to build its reputation based on hard work and good product. Improving itself. Improving itself that, hey, you're going to spend a lot, but you're going to get the value out of it, right? So that's kind of what I was going with that. Like, how do you transition that? And like, you were there through that sort of transition where products did get to $5,000 or $4,000, right? Like, and did it, was it like a a slower transition? Like, we'll launch this next product that's going to cost this. And you had set off camera too. Like, sometimes products will go over costing because you just designed something, right? You just designed something. And you have no idea when it gets sent off to the factory. First of all, are they going to be able to execute, I guess, is the first question. Second of all, what's it going to cost them to produce this? And like, I, and I guess you probably don't even think about that if you've given, been given carte blanche to just be creative. It, it depends, right? Like, so for example, you know, the example you're talking about is, you know, as we did the watch, working with some watch manufacturing partners, you know, there are some things that we don't understand, like in terms of how much it costs for something. So we'll take that, we'll, we'll send that out and get that back and we'll work with that. It's not always carte blanche on everything by any means. And yeah. a good designer needs to work within a budget. So with that, yes, um, some things will, uh, some things will cost more than others, certainly. And you have to design appropriately and accordingly. And in, in the root of your question of, you know, I think what's the acceptability and how much of that for the customer they got to really believe the brand. They have to believe in the brand enough to shell out that kind of money for something of value. And like I said, I think we built that at Oakley over time. Yeah. Right. With good product, uh, good customer service, good warranties, um, and good product, and following it up with hopefully better product. Because you know, there's no such thing as perfection. But there is such a thing as constant improvement, right? Yeah. So you know, I love it. I love that that you say that. I'm a, I'm a fan of that that saying. Of course. Yeah, it's it's real. It's and people chasing right? perfection, you, you'll be disappointed often. <laughs> hey, speaking as a as a recovering perfectionist, um, I understand that you know because that's what I would strive for. I drive myself crazy, you know. Um, yeah, for sure. And but you know you start working in the real world and working with a brand, working with customers, you, you bring in uh, reality and a balance of practicality and, and uh, perfection, right? So oftentimes instead of perfection, we like to use the term, you know, excellence. We want to strive for excellence and yeah. constantly improve. So, you know, if I look at my products, that's happened to the engineering of them, the, the look, the feel, um, all that they've hopefully over time have improved and you know you take your learnings from each one and and do that but again it took time for oakley to build a reputation and a brand presence and i think a following that could accept something of that stature of price whether it's four thousand or twelve hundred for a watch or you know four hundred or three hundred for sunglasses whatever all of it um was backed by the technology, by the effort and the marketing of it, you know, I think as part of the, the question, you know, I think Oakley did a fantastic job marketing um, in the early days and, 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 and just like anything else has evolved over time. Yeah. You know, and something a lot of people may not know, which I think is super cool is when I joined Oakley, even though, you know, it, it was kind of a medium sized company, a lot of things were still done like a, like a small startup. A lot of the photography of products, you know who was a photographer for that? 
the founder, yeah, Jim Gennard. He's a damn good photographer. Yeah. Yeah, he it's would have like a studio grab, in the back. Grab some signs, go out to the beach and get some shots. Mostly there were studio shots. We, we would have like uh, other photographers shooting like, you know, at competitions and stuff like that. Yeah. But like we'd have like an athlete come in, put us up, go in the studio and Jim would be taking the pictures, right? And we'd use them and that'd be great. So it, it was, you know, so I'm dealing, so my boss is someone who's creative and has an eye. So that, again, that makes it really, you know, complimentary for everything. Yeah. So... Yeah, all this stuff, it just all relates. And the marketing that he did with imagery and athletes uh, as influencers, right? We didn't use the word influencers back then, but that's what they were. Yeah, Athletes were really the influencers of sports performance products at the time, right? So that's kind of who our influencers were. And we would work with them and, you know, get their feedback. Hey, how do you like this? Does this work? Does this not work? And, And we take the feedback, apply it either on the product that we're working or the next generation of product. Totally. So, so it's, it's product development and it's marketing all, absolutely. all in one. Do you absolutely. remember during your time, like some of the athletes, did you get to meet them? Did they come to the offices? Yeah. Or? I've met a lot of athletes over time. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's kind of crazy at different uh, times in our history. And, uh, you know, I've always been, I'm not like an idol worshiper. So, you know, I've, I've met really amazing people and I would just have a conversation like this. And yeah. I think they appreciate that. Right. Totally. They, they, they constantly get the starry eyed thing, but like, you know, I've, I could be talking to Michael Jordan, like, Hey man, yeah, blah, blah, blah. And we're just talking. Did you talk to Michael Jordan? Yeah. Yeah. I did. Talk yeah. To Michael Jordan. Nice. yeah several times. <laughs> um, just different people from like, uh, you know, beach volleyball, I think Gabby Reese, uh, the, you know, NFL guys, uh, Jerry Rice, uh, I've met, uh, hockey players. I've, I've met, I've been very fortunate, you know, basketball, Alonzo Mourning and De- obviously Dennis Rodman. And I've met a lot of really amazing athletes and notable people, um, that have worked with the brand and they've all been really great people. And again, just treating them like normal people, obviously with respect, um, but you know, getting their input and working with them is, is really cool. Right. It's like, it's one of those things. I never thought uh, I would do, right? Like, you know, if I, like I've said this before, if I had to, like, I look at my career, my professional design career, if it was a movie, I would have never, and I can say it's probably like a movie, I could never have written the script for it prior to living it because yeah. it far exceeded any expectation I would have had for my career, right? Because I'm just this dude that I want to make cool shit. Yeah. But then... You know, I get to meet amazing people. I get to work with talented people. I've learned so much from everybody. Um, I've, you know, met these like really famous people and, and then people really appreciate my artwork. So it's like crazy, you know, that, yeah, that's awesome. That that's kind of happened. And did you, did you think this in, in, in being in it at times, or did you kind of just reflect as you got older that like, wow, I, yeah. I was a lucky guy or I, yeah. I did it, you know, I think. A little of both. I think at the time I felt lucky, but I didn't know any different. Yeah. And now that the time has passed, certainly as I get older, reflecting back, dude, I am super proud. I am super blessed that I got to live that life. And, you know, a lot of Oakley people um, that have come and gone, it's still a, you know, kind of a family, right? Because the people that were with Oakley during the golden ages, you know, all the Willy Wonka chocolate, that shit was real, right? So people are like, wow, it's amazing. They go other places and, and everyone says the same thing. They've never had an experience like that before. Quick commercial break here. This podcast is brought to you 
by BidStitch and Easy. Okay, if you guys want to check out the Easy app, uh, we're starting to ramp up operations on there. Download it. Let's get this thing popping. Okay. So when I'm living it, and I, you know those 25 years were absolutely amazing. Been to places I never thought I'd be, doing things I never thought I'd do, um, and but it felt like it felt so natural. Like, well, that. This is what I'm supposed to do. Yeah, totally. This is why I'm here. This is why, um, you know, like you were saying, there's a lot of things. Is it fate? Is it this? Is it hard work? Is it luck meets, you know, skill? I don't know. But at least during my time, it felt like that's how it should be, right? Until it didn't. And so when you have that going, you're not really thinking about it too much. I'm just in the moment. I, like I told you, man, I'm not just drinking the Kool-Aid. I'm in the back making it for you guys and myself, <laughs> right? We're just doing it. We're going, going, going. And the thing about that, you know, is it's just, it's amazing, right? It, it was my life for the most part. Now I do have a life outside of Oakley too. And thankfully, you know, uh, when I was at work, it was 200%. But when I left work, I left it at work and I was, you know, a dad and, and husband and all that. And, yeah. you know, a hundred percent. Good for you. You know, Cause sometimes that's, that's tough, you know, super tough, super, super tough. So I'm very grateful that, you know, Jim and Oakley gave me that opportunity to live my life that way, you know, and um, because, yeah, I mean, and it's cool because people might, they start to know who I am now, but at the time, you know, it's not, my name isn't on this stuff. It's, you know, it's out there for people to like or not like, you yeah. know, because of the, you know, it's Oakley's product. You like it or don't like it. And, you know, coincidentally and, and really flatteringly, a lot of things they like, I happen to get a chance to work on. You know, so that's, that's really, that's really cool. Yeah. And I think you had kind of talked about this. There's like a difference between artists and designers. You, you, you are a designer, industrial yep. designer, you know, and you know, but there is, there is art to it. I, whether you want to say it or not, but I guess, and that is a, a testament to the things that you've designed, you know, that have, People want to know your name. People want to know who designed these things. And, and there's enough of a relevance to it that that, that lives on. So I, I just think that's very cool. Yeah. I, now, yeah. I, first, thank you. There is some art to this for sure. But I think, you know, I don't call myself an artist. I have a high respect for artists because, you know, artists do create art, you know, for different reasons, right? They create it because they either have to, they want to get it out there. They want to make the world more beautiful. They want to express an idea, a thought. There's many different reasons. But they do it for them. They are their own customer, so to speak, right? Like they're going to create it. But, you know, industrial design and many of the other professional design um, professions, um, we, I don't necessarily design it for myself, right? Yeah. I'm working for a client, so to speak. In the case of mo this stuff is all for Oakley, but you know what? I'm Oakley too. I am the client, right? So, so that's kind of a, a, a that, yeah, yeah, that's, that's a little different. That goes back to having that time in Oakley be magical because that's the perfect mixture in the pot, right? right? Absolutely. <laughs> you know? Absolutely. And not everyone gets a chance. Not everyone's clients are totally aligned with the designer's thinking, right? Or their, or their values. Not always, right? Like a good designer is going to create what's right for that client and what their brand stands for. Did you guys ever, can you remember back that time and like, did did Oakley have a distinctive set of core values that you guys were guided by? You know, we, for a long time, we, we always did. A lot of it was not written down. 
a lot of it was like uh, tribal knowledge. Yeah. Okay. Right. Like if you're a part of the, if you were like legit OG Oakley, you knew it. Right. And you would never, you were in all your best abilities, never cross certain lines and, and, you know, anything like that. I think later as it grew, you know, they, they built, they, a lot of effort was built um, internally on like a manifesto, you know, kind of thing so that it's easily adopted for people that don't have as much time with the brand. Yeah. It might be new to them. Right. So, yeah, I think the core values are still there, you know, as they built it. Yeah. And, um, so but it can, evolved. Can you verbalize time. like, like maybe what that, what that was, or is that even. It, it, as an old timer, it's hard to be honest with you to verbalize it, but okay. in my words, my view, this is not necessarily their company line. Cause again, I'm not with Oakley. So, yeah. but you know, my view is to be original. A lot of, a lot of the things that, um, that I believed in, that I that I learned from Jim, is you know we always want to be original. So therefore, there's no need to look at other stuff for me. That's you know I wear and watches. Um, we 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 want to stand out, right? And that means to be unique, original. Um, we want to be brave. And again, to be brave involves risk. Yeah. Which is very counterintuitive to running a business. And um, we want to be based in performance. So there needs to be a functional reason to make something, right? So it's performance. And then all that's also wrapped in a, a sincere passion to strive for excellence, right? And I'm sure I'm missing a bunch of, you know, very Oakley-isms. You know? Yeah, for sure. But that's, for sure. that but sounds I'm just, pretty good to me. I'm just trying to give you kind of the basics of what I take away from my time there. And what yeah. I've tried to emulate going forward um, when, when the moment's right, uh, to create things of that nature. And, you know, it, it has served me well and I feel it's, I feel it's a good worthy cause. And if we look back at Oakley's history, if that was some of the guiding principles and the products are as a result of that and all the, you know, knockoffs and, and everything else that have happened because of it. Yeah. It obviously works, right? It's inspiring other people where they want to, they want some of that specialness. They may not know how to create it and that's fine, right? But they want it and they want to emulate it. Okay, there you go. But doing special, unique, you know, beautifully performing products is not easy. I, right? I would imagine. By any stretch. That's a good, a good uh, segue here, you know. How would you, as, as time goes on, as more designs are made, it's like music. It's like harder to make an original piece of music. It's harder to make an original piece of clothes. As we look back over history, so much has been done. Everything's been done. Mm -hmm. Obviously not everything's been done, but a lot's mm -hmm. been done. Mm -hmm. Do you have any advice to people who say would want to be in design and like how you go about um, creating original works of design? Sure. Well, like, like the things I've shared with you already, Let's say if it's an apparel, you know, try if if you've been doing it the same way, um, consider doing it a different way, right? Because the definition of sanity is doing things the same way and expecting a different same, result. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> if you're if you if you don't if you don't like what you've been creating the way you've been creating it, you know, maybe you can take some glean some of the things I've said and like instead of looking at other garments as inspiration, if let's say you're in apparel. Look at other things completely not garment related or loosely related 
or look at something else, you know, and as inspiration, look at either adjacent or completely different uh, industries, technologies, um, you know, look at inspiration that, that you try, you try your best to find something unique that no one's used as inspiration. You know, I, I, that's what I'm saying. It's not easy, right? It's a, it's a constant search, which is the fun part. Yeah. Right. We're like, you're like a, you're like an explorer discovering new land, which same thing. It's hard to find new land now. Yeah. Right. So same thing. I agree with you. It's hard to do new designs, but I will tell you, that's what people said to me when I started. Yeah. Sunglasses. Great point. Sunglasses and eyewear has been done for hundreds of years. I'm like, all right. In the back of my head, remember, you know, I'm like this young snot nosed kid. I'm in the back of my head thinking, yeah, so what? I didn't do it. Yeah, that wasn't my time. Let me, let me try to do some stuff. And, you know, I can say, so it's not just me, me and the team. I think we created some very unique things in an industry that has been around for hundreds of years. Yeah. Right. And, and I do agree with you though. It is harder and harder. It's harder. And, but I think you're right. I think having that it's harder mindset doesn't get you anywhere. The mindset is to, is to just go and, and explore and get inspired. And when you think about being inspired, it's like, it's a spark in your brain. It's seeing something that triggers a thought pattern mm-hmm. or a design mm-hmm. idea or just being out for me, when I look at my business and what's helped us the most over, over the, the years is like traveling and seeing what, is happening in different areas and what mm-hmm. people are up to and, mm-hmm. and seeing different cultures. And that mm-hmm. as always, whenever I've come back from that, I've been reinvigorated and inspired to do something different, you know? Like, yeah, a- absolutely. It's, it's getting out of your comfort zone, getting out of the box. I mean, I think, and that's part of the fun and adventure and reward, right? Like you want to be known as a designer that just created something that's kind of nice. Okay. That's, that's cool. You want to be known as a designer that created something totally different in you. Yeah. Which one, I mean, you're not a designer. You told me that. No, Which one do you want to be? Yeah. The latter, right? Totally. So if that's what you want, it only makes sense to do what the activities that will get you that result. And that's not doing it the regular way that other people do it. Right. Yeah. And so that's how it is for me. And, you know, it's as a parent, it's interesting. I notice my son's that way too. Like stuff he doesn't care about, he doesn't try. Stuff he cares about, man, this kid's good. <laughs> right? <laughs> like, holy shit. And so I, I guess, you know, I like to take some credit that he probably gets that from me. The things that I enjoy, um, I really go after and try to understand it and evolve it and innovate in it myself, right? Like you mentioned spearfishing, you know, I have done it for over a decade, not as long as a lot of other old timers. Um, but at the same time, you know, trying to do the best I can, right, to, to evolve and learn every aspect of it and the beauty of all the things involved from finding, catching, cooking, sharing, all that stuff, right? Same with design, you know, understand it. Figure out what you're – be on, you know, here's the other thing. Be honest with yourself too. Are you just copying somebody else's stuff? Yeah. It, be honest. You don't have to admit it to anybody, but ask yourself that question. And if you are, okay, are you okay with that? I mean, if you're okay with it, you're okay with it. I mean, I'm not one to judge. I can, all I can tell you is I'm not okay with that, right? Yeah. And if I was okay with that, I guarantee you, you wouldn't ask me on this show. <laughs> That's such right? a good point also because in our business, in our world of vintage, there's a lot of 
A lot of copying, straight up. There's a lot of copying, and there's a lot of, uh, and I'm, you know, I'm a proponent of it through my time because I've also, I also do production for certain things and done mm-hmm. some, some things. And you, you, you know, there's that fine line between what people call copying and inspiration, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, I mean, everybody has their own moral compass or their own level of what they accept for their own life, you know. And, Absolutely, and yeah, like, like I said, I, I can't judge everybody by any means. I mean, I'm only judging myself, but. I do believe that there's there are definitely different levels of paying homage and copying, yeah. right? There's different degrees of that. And to your own point, you know, yeah, your own moral compass, where you feel comfortable. And I think the trick, again, this is a great challenge for anybody that's listening that is doing this, is give yourself that challenge. How do you pay homage in such a way that's creative and doesn't copy? Right. That's a good, that's a good little like mission statement, right? Like, how am I going to do that? Yeah. Do I take, you know, an old, um, oh gosh, I can't think of an old brand, but like when I was in high school, like whether it's a hang tan or it's a, you know, Pacific sun t-shirt or something. Well, how do you take the style of that and make a new thing, but with that style and everyone can look at it and say, dude, that's totally from that time and period. I love it. To yeah. me, that's like a worthy cause, right? Because you have to look too. like, there's a shirt is a shirt. You can put mm-hmm. buttons on it. Mm-hmm. Put a collar on it, no collar, but a shirt is a shirt. You know what I mean? We're not going to reinvent. I mean, you can reinvent a shirt somehow. You can. You could. You totally you could. could. You could. You could make it so that there's different sort of, uh, I don't know. It could be a dress on the top of your body. Who knows what it could be? It you could know? be. You, you could. Um, you I can, guess you're right. Yeah. You can do. See, again, when you open your mind to thinking about the word innovation, like like when you started your sentence, yeah. you just defaulted. I already had a, a preconceived notion yeah. of a shirt's a shirt. But then as we talked about it, you start thinking, well, wait a minute. A shirt's not just a shirt. Yeah. Right? Like the shirt I'm wearing, it's a t-shirt, but this is like a performance, moisture wicking, you know, it, it's airy, it's comfortable, it's more comfortable than a regular t-shirt for me. Okay, I like it. It's comfortable, right? Yeah. You can have it more form-fitting, you have it looser, you can, whatever. So there's a, there's a crap ton of stuff you can do. You can make a t-shirt last forever. You could, you know, whatever, right? So you can choose the path you want to take. And that's my point is, you know, is decide where you, how do you want to be known? The works of art or the products you make, how, how do you want them to be perceived? Yeah. You want to be me too? And that's fine. But don't expect the same kind of accolades a me too designer or person is going to get versus a revolutionary designer. Yeah. It just doesn't make sense, right? And, and don't I expect think, to do revolutionary stuff by doing it very conventionally. Yeah, and I think that's kind of going back to you have to be, if you're going to do revolutionary stuff, brave. You have to be brave. You have to be willing that maybe this isn't going to be accepted by the people. Maybe this will be something that causes a stir in the, in the world, but no one ever wears it. There's like different levels to it because you just are doing it for the design. You're doing it because it's something you wanted to do, something mm-hmm. you wanted to see in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think your runway analogy, you know, is is really relevant, right? Like some of the things you see is like, holy smokes, what the hell is going like, on? No one's going to wear that. You can't. How are you going to wear that? You took fifteen people to get that on that person, right? Yeah, totally. But the point is, they're they're drawing attention, right? They want attention, maybe to a particular theme that they will release as something more conventional that you can wear. But you know, there is that balance of something that is shocking, shock and awe, yeah, versus something that's very usable. Right. And in today's world, I feel like everyone, you know, with our economy and different things happening and whether the scarcity or the abundance of of money, it's a universal that people, um, they, they go after value. 
right? It could be expensive value, but it could be very affordable value, but it's got to have value, meaning it's got to, it's got to be worth what you're going to pay for it. And that's, you know, tangible, whether it's, again, like my apparel, you know, how does it feel? How does it last? How does it look? You know, all those little things add up to, is this worth it or not? And will I buy another one or will I come back? Right. Yeah. So, you know, I think for anybody creating out there, it's really important to, before you get crazy, stop and think about what do you want to achieve? What do you want your designs or, or artwork what do you want it to be? And when I say that, what I, I would give you a different way to think about how, what emotion do you want your customers to feel when they look at it, when they touch it, when they feel it? And if you can answer that, then you can put the effort into, okay, how do I put that emotion into what I'm doing? Yeah. Which is how I design. Like I want people to look at the stuff and get like uh, the feeling of, of romance, sex appeal, you know, yearning, desire. That's what I want. Right. People that when they see the thing or, or it could be like, oh, wow, that's really technical. That's really, you know, precise. That's again, it'll vary depending on what it's for. And when I do that, that's what's in my mind as I'm creating. Right. Yeah. Not, not this other model somebody else did. Oh yeah. That's kind of cool. Well, I, I want it like that, but different, you know, that it might work, but you're not going to, you're not going to likely get the true result versus trying to describe the feeling you want someone to have. Okay, so let's talk about the feeling people get when they see the over the top. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> what, what, what do you think it is? Okay, well, over the top is uh, Jim's brainchild. Yeah. And uh, I think it is a brand design, Oakley design flex. Okay. In today's vernacular. Yeah, I think that's very accurate. Right. Never thought about it in that term, but. And, yeah. and as such, it's designed to get attention. It's designed to show people that we thought differently back then. Oakley does things differently, right? But rooted in performance, it works. Yeah. Right? So you, you want the customer to say, who does that? Oakley does that. Of course they do that. I tried it on before. It works great with the bald head, by the way. It does work great with the bald <laughs> head. It absolutely does. Um, and I, you know, I look at this and I think like, Definitely brave is, you know, as we talked about that a lot, but like, you know, Mad Max tech, you know, tech, but like, mm -hmm. um, apocalyptic, I guess. Sure. Also, you know, Absolutely. And, yeah. and, uh, and also, I guess too, when you think about it, like it, it reflects the brand, it reflects the, the bravery of the brand hundred percent, but also reflects the bravery of the wearer very much. So, cause you're like, okay, this guy yeah. is out there. He's doing it. He's not, not scared. I told you, it's your front row guy. Yeah. It's okay. not, this was not even second or third row. This is your front row person. Okay. Yeah. And again, you know, I, I think, yeah, I think in society, hit on the back yeah, I think in society, we, we like heroes, generally speaking. We also like underdogs, right? So there's kind of this dichotomy there that this is kind of trying to do too. It's for the, it's for the underdog. It's for the bold, the brave. You said brave. Okay. Yeah. The design is brave. But it is for the brave. Exactly. That's what and I'm who do, who doesn't want to be known as brave? Yeah. It's, we're it's not all brave. Characters. We're not all brave, but we all want to be known as brave, right? Yeah. And that represents that feeling, that emotion, right? And 
you know, you gotta have a you gotta have a brass pair to be able to walk around with those. I don't wear those, so obviously I don't have a brass pair. But you know, it it is a beautiful piece that did its job. And you think about it from a brand standpoint. We talked about the runway models. That's kind of like that in a sense. It's wearable. I don't need 15 people to help me put it on, but it's more wearable than those extreme fashion, you know, pieces, right? And you know, I would tell you, I think, you know, when we did it. It'd be great, you know, the part of the thought, oh, it'd be great if we could sell enough and just, you know, pay for the tooling and all the, the work that went into it. But, you know, at some point later on, we found out, someone looked it up and like, wow, we sold way more than we thought. Really? Oh, yeah. I I, I was going to ask that because you said you kind of weren't always privy to the numbers, but um, yeah, like, you know, I would imagine this would be a lower, I'm sure it wasn't as crazy as some of them, but obviously higher than you guys had projected, eh? Yeah, it was higher than we thought. Just like we guys were talking about, how many did we saw? I don't know, dude. How many? Could we, oh, I looked it up. Oh my god, it's and I want to. So I could be completely off on the numbers. So I just I I get privy to the numbers. I forget them yeah. because they're not that relevant to me. Yeah. There could have been anywhere from ten to twenty thousand of these made, right? Yeah. And so it's more than paid for the tooling, more than paid for anything else. But and, more than and, anything, and a major marketing moment, major. More than anything, think about it. The money they invested to make it is way less than we would have ever paid to have global recognition for any kind of product we want to market. Yeah. Because I, I believe most people on planet earth know this design for Oakley. If you describe it, they may not know the name over the top or whatever, but you describe yeah, well, it. I've seen so-and-so wear that, or I've seen that on a picture yeah. and there's still pictures circulating around of this glass. I remember seeing it on a few people back in the day. Like I said, I was snowboard world, ski world, extreme mm-hmm. sports world, yeah. surf world. And I remember seeing this on quite a few pro skiers back then. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I think, remember. I think Glenn Plake would do this well with his Mohawk back in the day. I don't remember if he wore this one. Uh, it might've been, you know, but, but yeah, it's, it, it definitely, I feel like, Somebody wore this during the Olympics, maybe yeah. like a hikey Sorsa, if I remember correctly. I could be wrong, but I, I have this vision of him wearing this during the Olympics, I, like one of the earlier snowboard yeah. Olympics. Yeah, I can't remember the name of the athlete, but certainly it was worn in the Olympics in in competition, yeah. which is nuts, right? Because um, in those early days of snowboarding in the Olympics, it, it only came in the Olympics in 98. I remember a lot of people were against it. A lot of people were for it. And then there was the people who went that were like, we're going to show what, what, how crazy snowboarding is and the personality behind it. And I feel like that's Yeah, certainly the personalities were big, right? For, for athletes then. And so that's been a, that's a great project. I wouldn't want, I wouldn't want to say that, you know, on this one, Jim was actually working with one of our other designers originally on this. And so they got to a point and then it just wasn't moving. And then, you know, Jim asked me to, to jump in and take over. So it was at that point I came in and worked with Jim and did a bit of an overhaul. And so that's the piece we have here, you know? So, you yeah, know, very cool. I just want to make sure like, again, you Jim know, gets credit. He's, he's the idea. Oh yeah. Oh dude. He's like the mad scientist, right? Cause that's term that's it's gotten used with Oakley and you know, I'm on the mad science team, right? Yeah. Like a bunch of mad scientists running around. I got it. That's funny. It's a funny way to put it. Like, so like I said, I do have a company where we do production. We take old clothing and we resell them into new clothing. So I have I have a designer and a creative director, and we we do, you know, I come in like a crazy man sometimes with ideas, right? Yeah. And sometimes that can stress people out because I come like and you know you're like they're like we're working on this now you're telling us that this idea has to happen or whatever. Like was there a level of that or were you guys all kind of like when when Jim came in with a wild idea, it was like everyone's fired up, dude. Absolutely times ten. <laughs> Yeah. So I was going to say, what you're doing is good. 
you keep them on their toes. You're changing. You're you're out in the public and interacting. So you're you've got your finger on the pulse of what's happening or what you believe is going to happen. Yeah. And that's important. And Jim played that role too, right? Because he's not he wasn't necessarily on the day to day. Um, you know, give him updates or whatever. And he might come up with an idea. Sometimes like, holy whoa, that's crazy cool. And sometimes like, whoa, what are you talking about, dude? You know, and it would be a full range, but the great thing about it, it would get you thinking differently. It would get you outside of your box. And a lot of that effort and energy would ultimately create something new. Right. Yeah. And then we, you know, we got a little, a lot of professionals that are good and then we can make that new better and better and really work. So yes, to your, to your question, Jim definitely did that. Would come in with different inspirations or things that he thought were cool and give it to us. Okay. Got it. You know, take that and run with it. And, um, uh, you know, like, for example, oh, I didn't bring one. I can't believe I didn't bring one. Oh, wait, maybe I did. I thought I'd put it in my case. I have an X-Metal. I think I didn't open it or it's or I left it on a table. But Jim brought in an inspiration for, for that design that I think a lot of people don't know. Um, it was a door handle from, I believe, a Porsche 911. I can't remember what year. It was a wow. vintage car. You literally brought the door handle in. Yeah. Yeah, the door handle. <laughs> And, and like, so that's not uncommon for us to do. Like, let's just get all kinds of stuff. Yo, yeah, like, you'd have like industrial bits around the office. Oh yeah. Like, oh, cool. Dude. Yes, that's for sure. Good. And, um, you know, and again, you know, uh, a 911, right. Is, is this German engineering and it's, it's beautiful. It's, it's been refined over time, right. To perform better and better and better. So I think there's a lot of correlation with that and the beautiful sculpture in the handle you know, translates into the car body and everything else. So I think some of that motivation, uh, that inspiration was put into X-Metal along with the language that we were already following. So that's one, you know, yeah, there super. as inspiration. Again, that is not a sunglass. That yeah. is not inspiration of a sunglass, right? If it was, it wouldn't look the way it looked. Totally. So it's just another illustration of doing things differently to get a different result. Yeah. Inspiration is everywhere. You just got to be open to it. Let it, let it come on in. Yeah, for sure. So let's talk about this guy. This is the blade. Yeah. Which I personally like Dylan behind the camera that I really likes. Um, you know, obviously you have, it looks like the rotary of like a skill saw or a rotary saw. And it, this one is non-symmetrical, which I, I guess it is symmetrical too, but reverse. Like a mirror, <laughs> not a mirror perfect, but it's right. like a reverse mirror. So I think, I think we could, we could agree that it's not necessarily symmetrical. Yeah. Um, it has symmetrical qualities, but That's, it's not symmetrical. But yeah. Um, but it's just very cool. And, you know, do you want to talk about the design of this guy? Sure. Sure. So I, on my own, my, one of my hobbies in the past was making furniture and, and making stuff. Right. And deal with saws and i always thought the saw blade was a really beautiful uh individual piece of its own right that it's a utilitarian thing that cuts and it, it just it just does these amazing things and i just thought it was beautiful and if you look at a saw blade um the more contemporary saw blades have anti-kick uh uh geometry to it so it's not just like a, a like a claw right it's okay. got some other features so that was inspiring me to create this. So the silhouette that you see here, like this would be the teeth that cut. There's this little ramp up here. 
that's inspired from the saw blade as a kick up anti it's a feature so that the the piece you're cutting doesn't kick back at you right no way. Anyway, wow, like that's it. using it's that as a that you got you edit that in depth with that like detail yeah yeah i mean at least that was, that's how i saw it right yeah, that's and, amazing. and so that was part of it and so there so i always thought that as a shape and for a watch it made sense right you've got a dial you know analog dials going around round i'm thinking what is a round beautiful shape that potentially has uh, makes sense or could could work for this and I just thought, you know, a blade is really cool, right? And um, also thinking razor blade, you know, as, as uh, you know, one of Oakley's products, one of the first ones I got involved with, it made a lot of sense to me. So I started playing around with that idea and uh, contrasting it to, to highlight it because I want deep cuts. But, you know, we, need, we still need room for stuff. And then the idea of how to spin it off so that the links were asymmetrical, as they are. Um, they're, they're mirrored. To one another, and at the same time, this was also designed. Uh, I purposely put rubber in here because this this is a metal bracelet, but it's also designed to handle a rubber bracelet. And the rubber one, I don't have one here. It'd be a good example, but you would see the visual that that black would come in here, and then you'd see it continue and come back out, and it uh. would look it would look intentional and purposeful and a completely different aesthetic, and it was actually designed that way. Wow. So um, that's one of the things about this watch I really, uh, I really like a lot is just the design, how it works so well. I mean, it, you can, if you change it, it would look like it was only designed for the rubber band. And if you put this on, it looks like it's only designed for the metal band. So the rubber band had, you could see through the, or the outer, or it just had the rubber band. So yeah, so all this metal linkage here yeah. is gone. Okay. And just imagine black ah, I see, band, I see. Okay. but the black band would start inset from this edge. So just like, see this rubber is yeah. not all the way to the edge, it's slightly in. The band starts it's slightly in. Fluid. So your eye would follow the black around and through. Ah, I see, I see, yeah. Right? Beautiful. So, again, sorry, I didn't bring that, but. Um, no, that's fine. That, that you, explains even, one of the things the about it. the arms on it look like sort yeah, of medieval <laughs> fighting blades. Yep, yep. <laughs> This thing is all about being deadly, not yeah. hurting anybody. So if you look at the hour markers, the hour markers are almost a reverse blade. So if you can see the hour marker, yeah. it's like a ring, but now instead of the teeth on the outside, like a conventional uh, saw blade, they're on the inside. So if that was spinning, you would cut yourself on the inside. So each one of those represents the hour, right? And then the hands are also asymmetrical, and those are kind of a stylized tine. A tine is a, a cut portion of a, a of the saw blade, a tine or knife, you can call it a knife. Um, that's what those are. So all of that thematically is to reinforce the concept of a saw blade, that's yeah. like, as well as the graphic on the yeah, back. Yeah, the graphic on the back, the yeah. black is a saw blade. I would imagine designing watches is quite complex because you're obviously not going to design the interworkings of the of the motor and things but you're going to design how the band works with itself and that's all done in like your cadding right like you're literally designing so movements and everything so traditional so there are certainly um designers what just watch designers that they will design a lot of the internals okay. not necessarily every single gear but there's like you know it's like a, it's like an engine right there's some parts of the engine you have to accept and some parts you can modify so there's some 
some um, flexibility in designing a movement. And then there's the case or the chassis of a car that holds the engine, case that holds the movement here, right? So my thing is for these is I'm designing the chassis. We picked a movement. Now more sophisticated watches and other high-end watches, they're, they start with you know, uh, deciding on the right movement for different reasons. And there's multi huge levels of differences in those. And, and then some of those can be customized as well. So there's a full depth. We didn't do that at Oakley. Um, remember, this is, this is not the main business. The yeah. main business is eyewear. So we go to those depths on the eyewear. We didn't do that on the watches. So really, my work is mostly case, the case designs, the yeah. bands, the face, all that. Um, I certainly have a respect for the, the deeper dive into it. But honestly, too, as a designer, um, we may have talked about this. Like, I think one of my superpowers in doing what I do is the lack of knowledge that I have. I have a lot of knowledge on a lot of things, but when I'm designing something, I don't want to understand too much about it because if I do, those little laws of physics or whatever in my head will prevent me from trying something brave and daring, right? So when I, let's say on the watch, I work with very talented engineers and a team so that I don't want to think about it, certain things. Yeah. Even though I know about it, I try to like subdue that and just go crazy and then work with them. Like, okay, now we get real and do whatever. So it's important to have this back and forth, I believe, uh, when you're creating something technical, right? And, but you want to be creative. So, you know, there's this kind of this, this, this battle is a little bit uh, extreme, but you could call it a battle between, you know, like an engineer has got to be, you know, strong or robust and safe, you know, designer might want it whimsical and whatever. And it goes back and forth to you find a good middle ground that achieves both. Yeah. Right. So on these designs, typically they want whimsical first off, but in these designs, you know, um, a great team. So most of what happened could happen, but I learned things. Okay. We can't do that. But if we do that, we have to do this. So it's, you know, it's all compromise. Yeah. No, I, I've, I've seen that in my own business as well, where the design gets hindered by our knowledge of what's possible or knowledge of what we have access to or knowledge of maybe just what we know of the past experiences instead of just designing from a yeah. place of complete creativity without, yeah. without letting our own brains limit our, mm -hmm. our potential. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and I've had these talks with my team very similar to that and just been like, let's just, let's go out and design something and forget about all the limitations that we know could be there mm -hmm. and see where that goes, you know? And that's, a, you know what? And that's something I did while I was at Oakley too, um, created this kind of like this little program to, to really dive into creativity. Right. Cause at one point my team was getting kind of bogged down with so, you know, doing so much, work and you know not always the most like if you're doing a bunch of uh not flagship stuff but you're doing a lot of stuff in the middle yeah right it can be a little monotonous and, totally. and volume and you know as oakley grew up grew and everything there's different dynamics so to keep everyone creative and interested and and motivated um start doing this this project where it was volunteer at first all the designers could do it um, but it had to be on top of their regular work, right? At first, you do it after hours or whatever. And I, I cordoned off a room, put a security on the door so that only designers could get in there um, inside the design department. So there's already a design department that not everyone's allowed, 
but even and but there's engineers and and all kinds of other people in there. But even in there, there was a room that only the designers could go into, yes. and that room, you know, put up stuff on the wall so you can just put drawings there, and that's where you know the edict was. I want stuff in that we're creating. Only the things on the wall that we can't make today, whether it's five, 10, whatever years, right? We can pick that, but it, I don't want any conventional thinking in there. And we don't use the word no in there. And it was all experimental, right? And it was, it was a, um, I'm not really sure what the objective was other than, I, mean, I need a creative outlet for everybody. Let's make it fun. Let's make it interesting. Let's see what comes of it. Yeah. And also, like when I hear you talk about it, the objective to me is to keep people interested in their jobs and keep people mm-hmm. inspired to be doing this mission for mm-hmm. Oakley because that's a huge mm-hmm. thing. And if you get bogged down in the day-to-day where potentially a lot of that mid-level stuff isn't very creative, mm-hmm. per se, for everyone mm-hmm. individually, you need – these people are creatives and they need to have that yeah. – it's, it's, it's personal fulfillment, right? Yep. And you can get burnt, everybody can get burned out, you know, and it sucks, right? I, I've been burned out before. And um, so it became something that evolved and, you know, started inviting some some people in, like some engineers talking and set some ground rules. And from it, all these great creative things happened. And we actually had a project come out of it that became a huge, you know, commercial success, right? Wow, and so great. now it's, it's become, um, you know, it's become part of the, the program, right? It went from extra work to like 10% of the work to whatever. Right. Yeah. And it, it became, um, it started getting, I, it, it started getting called uh, something because that's just what I put on the calendar when we met, like, you know, we would meet once a week or so and, and go over stuff. And, uh, it was advanced. It was, it was titled advanced concept review. And that's just, that's just what it, I just thought it was, it's advanced concept review. Let's, we're going to go over it. Right. It's usually after hours and stuff. And so it is ACR for short. Yeah. And then that's just what we ended up calling it. No, that's just awesome. ACR. And again, you know, I'm not there now, so I don't know if it's exactly going on. But when I left, you know, it was still a, a great, a great process to free your mind, you know, of, of the constraints that we all have. And what I was going to say with your idea, which is exactly the same, is what's important, though, you have to have your staff give them what's the objective, though. Because if they're thinking, okay, I want to free my mind of constraints. But ultimately, Drew wants us to sell this thing. Yeah. That's going to constrain them, right? Totally. So you have to set it up so that it might sell, but that can't be the objective. Because if it sells, they're automatically going to tie it to what they know has sold. Yeah, yeah. So, so okay, interesting. Yeah, see, and we, we, we actually did it for a while, and then we ended up stopping because we're like, it was costing a ton of money that we didn't have at the yeah. time. Well, so you have to prove it out. Yeah. And I think, but I think too, there's a level of what you're saying where like we, we, we started it as like a, say like a program, a uh, small program that we were going to produce product. And what I hear from your, you, you're saying like maybe it wasn't with the objective to make a product. It was just to like hear what everybody had to say, mm-hmm. get some ideas out, be creative. Maybe mm-hmm. that's where we need to go with it. So we can be more free, free with it. And then, make other decisions based on that mm-hmm. if we decide to on a separate yeah there, there could be some very tangible things that come out of it maybe inkling here detail whatever right um it surpassed my expectation and don't get me wrong it's not like i invented this stuff right like google's been doing this other companies do this right where yeah, they, this they, is, they, they allow creative time and it's culture building right it's when culture you, building you look at the how successful companies are run now it's super important to have your your team be fulfilled and that's mm-hmm. a big part of it in my opinion no absolutely i mean 
you know, we all talk about culture, right? We've got, you know, we've got pop culture. We've got, you know, the, the whole culture, the vintage as a culture and yeah, everything. Course, yeah. It was the same at Oakley, you know, during my time. We talked about the culture and, you know, always people are afraid we're losing the culture and things like that, which can happen very easily. Yeah, right? totally. Especially when you grow and or you change hands of ownership or whatever. So culture is something that is important. My belief is important to build correctly with the right objectives to to help a brand both be sustainable. And remember, I got into design to be fun, to keep it fun, right? Because if it's fun, for me, there's a good chance I'll do my best work, Yeah. right? If it ain't fun, all right, I'll give you something. It'll be, it'll be nice. Will it be my best? Do you have any, like, would you say that your design department, one of my things on here to talk about was how you sort of eventually led the design team, right? You were mm-hmm. like the head of design. You've kind of, we've kind of already talked about that, but um, would you say like your design department had a, had its own culture and then the whole company had its own culture and each department had different cultures or was like the, just was the culture pretty cohesive that you guys all worked together, marketing, design, sales, everything? Well, ideally I'd like to say yes, but realistically, um, so during my time, the culture changed, right? So I'm going to talk about probably more the heyday of what I would consider. And what years ideal. were those to you? Um, let me think. I got to go back in time. Uh, <laughs> let's see if that was, I would say, okay, it, from uh, up to like 2010 ish. Okay. After 20, actually, even after 2010, maybe like, maybe up to the early uh, teens, right? Okay. Of, uh, of the 2000s. And um, the way I ran the team, the way I ran the design department, I think echoed how the rest of the company was trying to work, um, you know, with, with freedom, respect and everything. But realistically, you can't always run it that way with things like production, right? Where you have to, you know, punch a clock and make things. Um, but, you know, we tried to communicate really well um, and be open to ideas. And that's the thing. Everybody's got good ideas. And if you're just, you know, too elitist to think only your small group is going to come up with good ideas, you're missing out. Right. So having a design department with mixed disciplines of engineers, designers, modelers, all kinds of stuff, you know, and we put things on the wall and you get different reactions and different discussions, man, there's some magic that happens that you would not expect. Right. Uh, that's why I dig your space out here. It's just, you know, it's open. There's a lot of probably collaboration that happens. Yeah. Good energy whether, here. Everyone's motivated. Absolutely. Whether intentional or accidental. Right. Yeah. Um, now I will say that at the same time, I also protected my designers and stuff because I don't want everyone bugging them all the time. Right. Um, yeah, that's, you know, that's like the enemy of creativity and, and product productivity. <laughs> yeah. So there's a fine balance between all those things, but I will say that my main primer is still true that I did. It just was relative to who we're talking about is try to create the optimal, the best environment. So my team, the different disciplines can do their best work. So the designers gave them a nice space. We redid the department. They had a little lounge area with boards up so they can have conversations and creative discussions. We'd have once a week. No one else is allowed. It's just us, just the creative team. And then we pull people in for different discussions. They have their space. And I put up a glass wall between them and the rest of the group. And oftentimes the doors are open. But when those are closed, leave them the fuck alone. Don't come in asking for this or ask for that. Because... Because when you're creating, just like in sport, when you're an athlete or you're creative, when you're in the zone, 
Yeah, we call it the flow state. Have you read when about you this? Are, I have. Yeah. When you're in the flow state, it, first off, it's not easy for people to get in the flow state. No, it's not. When you're in it, you can be so productive. The work is amazing. So because, because I was the, uh, the leader for the group of people that I did the, that job for, I know what works and what doesn't work. I could have done the job for a lot of the people in there because I did at one point in time, right? So I, I understand, I, I believe I understood what they need to be successful. So I try to give it to them to the best of my effort. Not always successful, but if I can do that, then everyone's doing their jobs as well and communicating because, the, you know, the designers can't be completely cordoned off because how are they going to communicate with anybody? How are we going to get the synergy, right? Yeah. But at the same time, they can't be accessible to everybody all the time. Yeah. Because then they can't get jack shit done. Structure right? to it that has to work. Yeah. So that's kind of some of what happened. So, and maybe because, you know, they were my people. I, you know, I was a designer and want to protect them too, right? So they have their space. And at the same time, you know, I have an office, but my door is almost always open. And the only time it's closed is someone wants to talk to me in private, right? So that's open. So I'm available to people. And, um, the rest of the group engineer, try to give them, you know, the equipment, the space, what they need to work. And, but also their, their leaders are in that room too, right? Directors and stuff. So yeah. I respect those guys. And what do you want for your guys? What can I do to help? Right. Yeah. They don't report to me, but I'm responsible for this room. You, and this you'd group, probably right? also have like your higher level manager meetings where you'd meet with them too. Or was that? Yeah. Something? We'd all meet at different times and different things. And it's, yeah. it can be very, it's very casual. It could be like this. Like we yeah. come in like, Hey dude, this is a problem I have or whatever. Like, okay, well, what do you, you know, how do you think you want to pursue it? Or do you want to know what I think? Right. Whatever it, you know, so it's very casual. Um, I think it all rooted in what makes the most sense. Right. Like, okay, well, you know, I think this would be cool for your team, but really it's your team. What do you want to do? Okay, well, I want to do that. Okay, cool, man. Yeah. I had another question here, which ties into this culture thing as well. Like, you're talking the heyday, which is like, say, 2000 for, or late this 90s. Is, this this is, is for me. This is for you. My perspective. Yeah, right? this whole so, everything said on this podcast is your perspective of how yeah. things were for you in, the, in your time there, of course. But I'm sure, too, that was like, you know, that period was reflecting on some of the, the most, most innovative designs and also probably like some big bell curves on revenue during that period too for the whole company right mm -hmm. anyway uh we look at culture we look at like having this company grow and everything and, and i know tying it back into like um a lot of oakley products were for those people that wanted to stand out and i know the company was looking to stand out as well but also during the, during extreme sports in that time like there was a lot of party right like, and I know these companies, like I, I know I used to go to trade shows and things for snowboarding and there was a big time to party. And I know Oakley probably threw some crazy parties and like would take you guys on trips and different things like that. Like, was it like that? I don't actually know. I'm just, this is just a question. Yeah. Yeah. There were, there were, there were some cool parties, both and the, the, the facility, the building, you know, and the surroundings and other areas. There were some cool parties and stuff for sure. Yeah. yeah and, and, uh, and so I, you know, I participated in that. It was really fun, you know, to get to get the vibe, how people just really love the brand. It was just another way of showing love for the brand. And right? probably that, at that point, you, they, they would bring, for certain ones, they'd bring the athletes and the teams yeah, in. Yeah, sometimes there's, yeah, off, there was almost always professional athletes or something. Because here's the thing, too, like, uh, that I, I really respect out of Oakley. And there's many brands that do this, too. But, you know, a lot of the staff were former athletes, too, like oh, in cool. marketing. Yeah, because that's how kind of the industry works. You like if you mm -hmm. if you end up you know you can't do it anymore. You want to find a job mm -hmm. in the industry that mm -hmm. you know, right? Yeah. So a lot of the the sports marketing guys, 
um, you know, they're former professional athletes, right? Yeah. So there's, they got friends and connections. And in my, in the early days of Oakley, right? It was, it was, it was that way. It was your connections. It was your relationships. It was your friends and buddies. Like, you know, and I think Oakley would look bigger than it actually was because of that. So for example, right? Like I heard these stories before and then some that I was part of that like Jim would say, or I've heard from other people that in the early years, you know, Oakley would get called and what people want to buy uh, like fairings and, and bumper things and whatever else for motocross because they saw Oakley logos all over the stuff. They thought Oakley made it. But well, I did read Oakley started or Jim started with handlebars for motorbikes or BMX or something. Close. Okay. Grips. Grips. Yeah. Okay. Yes. We made grips, but we didn't make the fairings. We didn't make the, this and that, all uh, the other things on the bike that people, people like the logos on. They, they wanted all that stuff. Right. So yes, he started motocross with that. So, you know, that happened. And then, uh, but it's all through, you know, athletes wanting to wear this stuff because in the beginning, you know, we can't pay the big athletes, you know, when you, when you're a small company, relatively speaking. Right. And, um, like for example, one thing I always remember back, you know, this is a while ago because I'm sure it's much more expensive now, but like F1 racing, F1 cars, right. Fastest racing on the planet, you know, blah, 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 globally known international thing. You know, the side view mirrors on those cars back then, I believe each mirror in terms of like marketing real estate is like a hundred thousand dollars. Okay. Wow. Something like that. That's crazy. Oh, like for logos. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Back then. Yeah. Jeez. And then, Hey, we got our logos on that F1 car and that F1 car. And I find out we didn't pay for those. No way. You look at the team, the whole team's kitted though. They're, they all got eyewear and stuff. We also, you know, the, the, the team, you know, built special fireproof shoes and stuff for the pit crew and everything. So, the money was spent a different way, you know, so that they leverage what we're making. Yeah. It's like, take care of the crew totally. versus pay for some of these spots. And there's plenty Make of examples something that like they that. need to have. Absolutely. So and we work don't have with to them. pay. To and work with them. So it's actually better. Yeah. Right. So there's a lot of examples like, like that, um, based on relationships, working with the right people, you know, and that's true today, right? You know, startups trying to get, you know, some influencer or somebody that, Hey, just do me a favor, blah, blah, blah. And but also, like, if a, if a brand is so popular, the influencers will say, listen, send me a free package and I'm happy to do this because yeah. I want your stuff so bad. Yeah. There was a lot of professional athletes wearing Oakley product. They weren't getting paid, but they wanted the best stuff because literally it was the best stuff. Yeah. Right. So if you want the best stuff as an athlete, which who doesn't, but you can't, you don't quite, you know, maybe you're not at that level where you can get free stuff or like paid endorsements, but you still want the free stuff you might ask and you'll get the free stuff yeah. because you're of that level because they didn't give it to everybody. You know, I'm sorry, you have to pay for it. You know, if you want it, that's great. But the, you know, kind of that grassroots, you know, kind of thing, up and coming people, you know, you want them to, you know, do well in your product. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Wear it, you know, and, and then they wear it, they perform, they, and they become loyal to the brand. The brand becomes loyal with them. We grow up together and good things happen for everybody. Dude, I'm all about win-win. How is that not a good thing? Oh, it's great. Right. And I, you know, for me, you know, I grew up skateboarding and snowboarding was like a huge part of my life. Moved out west. I, I was a sponsored snowboarder. Like I used mm-hmm. to compete a lot in like big air and half pipe. Cool. Um, but like as a kid, like a young kid, that was like the thing. You just wanted to be sponsored. It didn't mm-hmm. matter. It was like, I just want to get to that level of being sponsored. Yeah. You get the free gear. Give me one free thing. And you're like, it was like, 
the most glorious it feels experience. Like it feels like you're legit, right? At that point, yeah, like you've made it. Like okay, I'm being acknowledged for being good at what I do. Like, totally. I'm serious, yeah. It's, and and that's just I'm sure the same feelings out there with the young kids now. It's like absolutely they, they want that recognition and and that is the synergy, you know. And then and then you go out and you do whatever you can do for that brand because you're so stoked that they that yeah. they believed in you. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. It, it it's a it's a real thing and it's really it's really cool. I got to live that and see how that works, you know. And um, yeah, so I think there's a lot to relationships and stuff that are important and. Um, and that's why, you know, like the parties and all that, that's all relationship building and good vibes for the community and yeah. whatever sport or whatever thing. And, yeah, there were some really fun, crazy parties and stuff. And then, you know, at some point I, I also stopped going to sometimes just because like, you know, I got a family and stuff and I, I don't maybe, you know, necessarily drinking as much or whatever, you know. Uh, and also for me, remember, it's kind of like work too, you know, because I'm doing this every day. I'm living it. And, and it might sound a spoiled attitude but you know it gets a little old too right course, just because yeah, yeah. you know you gotta do that um and so back to our question we before yeah i definitely think that i took things for granted while i was in the middle of it you know when i'm just i'm sure that Oompa loompas in willy wonka's chocolate factory were over it at times too right <laughs> if that was a real thing so it's, it's the same thing you know? <laughs> yeah no you cannot you can have too much of anything and you know, everyone needs a break you yeah know? um so the last kind of topic I want to talk about, you know, like obviously we've talked so much about Oakley, about your design, but you know, I don't want to, that's not your whole identity. You are, you are still a designer and you, you have your own design. You contract yourself now for design. You want to tell us about like some projects you've worked on since you've left and like, what do you have coming up or who you're sure. excited or who you excited about working with or. Well, that's interesting. So yeah, I have my own little design firm or business. It's, it's called PYD. Not really creative. It's just my initials and the word design. <laughs> but the work is creative. So that's the important. work is creative. So the interesting thing about my business is um, it's it's pretty confidential. Okay. So I've worked with different brands and some big, some small, some medium, but I keep everything confidential. Okay. Um, Fair. Yeah. I mean, there's exciting stuff. There's stuff I think is, is cool, but you know, the idea is that just like at Oakley, no one knew me. I was just designing for the brand and the stuff was good and it worked. So for these brands, it's the same thing. I feel like, you know, it's their brand. They can, they need to do what they need to do with it. Uh, And I do different things. Some of them I'm designing stuff. Some of them I'm just advising. Okay, cool. You know, like, because I built a whole design department. I built all kinds of structures and things, right? So I can so, help in different ways. Interesting. And when you say advising, it's like consulting. You'll go in and maybe help them build a team. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah, team or strategies Yeah. or, um, you know, you name it, dude, from product development, actual designing, training, whatever. So I do all kinds of stuff, which is cool because, honestly, I'm just doing what my old job was. Yeah. Right. From training designers and processes, communication, um, developing new things, strategizing how we're going to do something, uh, sitting there designing it myself. So I'm just doing what I did before, but now I'm, I'm doing it for myself and at my own pace. Um, you know, I, I literally work out of my house. Um, a lot of times my dog's hanging out behind me. I love that. And uh, I am pretty selective about who I work with because um, I don't. I'm not searching for more work. 
because I don't want to do crazy hours like I used to do, yeah. you know, 50, 60, 80, travel all over the place. Um, you know, it's a nice pace. It's a good balance for me. In fact, I have to turn down, you know, uh, clients that want me to do work because again, I, uh, I, I can't, I'm only one person. I do. I have a team that I can scale up depending on the depth of projects that come and I have, and I do, um, oftentimes I don't really advertise. Oftentimes people come to me through either the industry or, you know, my reputation or whatever, whatever. And they come to me because of the stuff I've done, which is all fairly unique, somewhat iconic, blah, blah, blah. So, um, so I don't, you know, I I don't, I keep it confidential. Uh, keep yeah, it that's cool. fair. I mean, yeah. obviously, we'd love to hear about some cool shit. But I think there, it's there, confidential. Hey, I'll tell you what. There, there, there is cool shit, and I never say never. Yeah. And you know, for anybody that is following my Instagram page, I do. You know, eventually, I feel I'm going to show some cool things yeah. that you know we won't just be talking about stuff from the past. Like you know, talk about history. We'll, we can talk about present. We yeah. can talk about future. So, yeah. question: Like, is it confidential? I'm obviously I totally respect your confidentiality. Mm-hmm. Um, but on your principles or on like on actual contractual deals you have with this, um, your clients, uh, on some, it's actually think about it. It's on, it's contractual. It's on principle and it started contractually cause it was a, I'll tell you how it started. Um, I usually did, I didn't do freelance work before cause I was working so much, you know, and I don't need to work more. Yeah. Not from a money standpoint or ties don't, you know, but then, you know, once I had time, like after the pandemic and like, okay, I get people coming at me. Okay. Let me, let me do one. And it was a cool one. I, I got recommended um, from someone high up in their, their organization and talked to them. Okay. This sounds interesting. Okay. I'll do it. And then they're, substantial size brand and they want to keep it all confidential. I'm like, that's fine. No big deal. Yeah. And as I did it and I thought about it, like, oh, I like this, this is kind of cool. Right. Like I keep my anonymity, you know, um, I'm more of a behind the scenes guy. I mean, I can be up front and on stage if I need to, but you know, I, I like not being noticed, um, also. And so I started going down that route and then projects would come that way. And, and I kind of kept it that way. Uh, and I, I kind of like it, you know, and yeah. again, it may change. Don't, like, well, I respect, I respect it too, because, you know, most people are the opposite and they want to, they want to share and like be recognized for those things. And I respect that you want to, you know, you respect the client and keep it quiet mm-hmm. and, and, uh, just go about your, your work for your clients. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah. Contractually, the, in the contracts that I have, they just, they just need my permission to use my name, right. In anything. But I will tell you that when they people find me, they want to use my name because they found me because they found out my, who does some of the stuff in my name, right? And as a person, and growing up the way I did, you know, um, obviously I'm Asian, and and in our culture, my family, there's pride, there's you know, what you do for the family. Well, your name is everything, right? I all my efforts, I'm constantly trying to do my family proud both my own family, my parents, you know, my father passed away, but he's looking down. I'm doing everything I can to continue the, the great work my father did in building our name. Yeah. And do you I'm feel do like my part. they're proud of what you had accomplished in your career? Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm, 
yeah, I'm very thankful. My, my father is always very, you know, uh, he's super proud of our culture, you know, being Chinese. And for him, he is so proud that his immigrant son, I came to the U.S. from Singapore when I was about three years old. And I grew up here, baseball, apple pie, yeah, you know, Boy Scout, the whole deal. And immigrant son working, uh, you know, becoming a professional, working in a very American company at that time. Yeah. Doing well and basically getting as high as you can get in my particular expertise, right, as, as a designer. Yeah. The vice president of design in an American company that's well known and respected for the work that I do. Dude, my dad was beaming. Right. Yeah. And that made him so happy. He was so proud. My mom was proud. And I was so proud that I made them happy. Right. That's and it's also, you know, for my own kids, you know, they, I, I know they think it's cool, but when they were growing up, it's just dad. Yeah. Right. But it, it, there's times where it took their cousins or somebody else to tell them, Hey, do you know what your dad did? Or, you know, cause we don't talk about it. We're just, and I think, they I understand think as they get older that they start to, they'll, It'll hit them differently. Yeah, right? you know, yeah. They understand. Sure. They understand yeah. now. I think yeah. much more, and, and that's okay. That's fine. You know, because I'm I'm just their dad. They, you know, we don't need to. You know, um, if they were if they're all going into design, it would be different, and I would you know train them and all that. You know, but they're finding their own path. One of them might do design thing, but again, you know, she's she's on her path, and just like my parents let me choose, they just supported me as best they could. That's I'm following the lead of my parents, right? Like. Yeah. I'm going to support them as best I can, encourage them, still correct them if they screw up big time, right? But in an encouraging way. So for me, again, you know, because of all that, my name, you know, is is everything. And my word, you know, cliche, my word is my bond. Like, I'm only as good as my word. If I tell you I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. You know, if I'm not going to do a good job, I probably just won't do it. But if I'm going to do it, I am going to give it my best shot. And yeah. if I put my name, because here's the thing about putting your name with brands, you can do great work. That brand could fuck it up. Yeah. Like in production or in marketing or many things. Now your name's on it. Yeah. How are you going to feel about that? Yeah, totally. Well, cause I was, when you mentioned that, I was going to ask, like, have you ever thought maybe to Peter Yee becomes a brand and you actually make some products on your own? Yeah, absolutely. I have, I've, I've thought about that. I have some ideas and, that's the one place for sure I would use my name. Um, then you control the process. Yeah, I'd control everything. And also think about it. It's got your name on it. It's, you know, yeah, it's, it's might as well put your face on it. Like, okay. And, you know, I think I think also for me, it, there's, a, there's a bit of self-imposed pressure because I think people know me for doing a lot of this type of these designs. So I think people's expectations, as well as my own, if now Peter's going to step from behind a, an Oakley logo or behind any other brand and it's his, well, that has to be really cool, right? Yeah. That's a lot of pressure. A lot of pressure and, 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 you know, potentially not the support that you would have had at an organization like Oakley, mm -hmm. have to figure out different departments that you may not have been able to navigate or learn to navigate. So it's a different beast, 100%. Absolutely. I, and, and trust me, Drew, I've thought about it. I've, I've, I made, you know, strategic, strategic plans, how I would do it. At the same time, though, I think where I am in my life, is maybe different than a lot of people. You know, a lot of people want the fame and fortune and all that. I, I don't really want that. I feel blessed that, you know, um, that, that my name is associated with very, with a very good brand and with very good work. I'm, I honestly feel very blessed. And 
Um, you know, I, I cherish my time with my family, yeah, with my good. dog. I, I, it's, especially I when they're spear young. fishing. Yeah, right? like, I, have, I have some clients, they know like, oh, hey, we're going to have a meeting, you know, blah, 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 meeting Wednesday for this. I go, ooh, hey guys, uh, full disclosure, I'm thinking about going spear fishing that day. Yeah, tides are looking perfect. So yeah, <laughs> tide and winter down like, and they'll go, okay, okay, well, we'll move it to Thursday sometimes or hey, go for it. I'll just catch up with you guys, right? Yeah. So, you know, I'm trying to balance my life differently because I did live the other other life of just on the gas all the time at a time when I was younger and had more energy and strength, but it was for another brand, not for me. Now it's for me. I know what it goes into building a successful brand. Honestly. Yeah. It is a shit ton of work. And if I choose to do it, I know what I'll sacrifice and I don't know that I'm willing to pay the price Yeah, totally. because I don't, I don't need a lot. I'm, I'm pretty, you know, I, Yes, you know, I'd love a huge yacht to go spearfishing, but I don't need that, you know. Yeah. And I know the price it I know the price tag of going that route. And there's nothing wrong with people that want to do that, but I know myself and I know how hardcore I can be and I'm afraid of what that would entail. Yeah. Also. I mean I, I I empathize with that because I I you know, I'm still a little bit on the gas, but I do I'm making moves to kind of get back to like a, a manageable pace and my kids are at an age you know i have six and ten year old so it's like i don't want to miss these years now and again like you could also when the kids say go to maybe go to college and it's like then you kind of like all this time opens up where you're like maybe then i'll do a new project right mm -hmm. but you don't want to miss these years with your family when they're very important you know and yeah. I, I totally feel, feel that and respect that because too many people are on the other side where they're mm -hmm. just they don't know anything else but the gas yeah. Even if it's not productive or yeah. working in their best yeah. interest, they still do it. You know. I just saw uh, like a, a reel of like it's a, usually a comedy reel, but it's the I can't remember the name of the guy, but he had someone on who was a young, uh, you know, good-looking young guy talking about his work, and he starts tearing up and crying because he's talking about he's asking himself he's grinding through doing so much, but he's he's mm. his relationship he's seeing his daughter grow through his FaceTime on his phone. And then the host, who's usually, it's all comedy and stuff, he's crying because he's telling him it doesn't get better. Yeah. Right? So I've seen these stories. My family's filled with entrepreneurs and, and stuff, and I've seen what it takes to do that. And that's why I chose to go into a profession where I can work for somebody else. It's different now. I have my own business, but I'm doing my business on my terms. Yeah, and, and there's right. freedom in that. I there's mean, there's freedom in that. There's freedom in all different things. Freedom really can be a state of mind if you break mm -hmm. it down, but... You know, now you can go spearfishing, you can put some things, you can pick who you want to work with. Yep. A lot of freedom. Yeah. And, and so I think it's, and I think the journey is different for everybody, but it's finding that balance and you're wise enough to understand and realize, look, these, these times with your kids are precious and you only got one shot. And, and, you know, I think my wife, you know, when I was super busy doing that, you know, she was always there to help remind me, you know, it was pretty flexible though. I take my kids to school most of the time, you know, walk them or whatever. Most days I'd take some time off, go read stories in their classroom, go on field trips, all that. Sometimes yeah. I have to go back to work, you know, which is fine. Yeah. But those are things that I remember. Those are things they remember. And those are the things that are important, right? Like those cliches, you're never going to wish you worked another day at work on your deathbed. Like I don't, you know, no. I wish I had more times like that. And now, <laughs> yeah. now it's, it's the same thing. So you know, hopefully, hopefully you're a smart and successful businessman where you can balance out your business and have your life the way that's meaningful for you. Yeah. And, you know, when you're, when we're young and we work hard and grind and have to prove ourselves, 
hey, that's how it is. That's what you have to do. But you get to the point where you are good at what you do. You can balance it out. You can juggle, you know, 10 things in the air and still be okay. All right. Then you have some opportunity to maybe guide things better for yourself. Right. Yeah. So I think I'm, I think I'm doing that now. I'm trying to take my experience, my, um, whatever, 15 minutes of fame or whatever, and, and position it so that I can still be, um, creative, productive, helpful to brands and whatever else. Well, at the same time, enjoying the work, you know, making a difference, uh, making a, a living that allows me not to crank 40, 50, 80 hours a week and go spearfishing, spend time with family, go take my wife and my dog to Laguna Beach and hang out for the afternoon or whatever, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, even that's a balance, right? Because you're, you know, you're obviously smart enough to know that what you've done is, is impactful and it can cr- create jobs for you in the future, but it's not, it's not your everything identity, which some people live into that too. Right. Where it's like, mm-hmm. I am only defined by this thing that I have done or yeah. what people know me as, which right. isn't reality too. Yeah. I, that's a really good point. And I think probably for me, because the way I, my journey through Oakley was at Oakley. Yeah. This is what we do. And so outside of Oakley, a lot of people didn't know what I did for a living. Because for everything I dealt with was all proprietary knowledge. And then I didn't like uh, somewhat acquaintances or strangers asking me to buy stuff or get stuff for them. Right. So like, I, you know, I played hockey for a long time. I played, I did all kinds of things. And people would ask me, what well, do you because do for like your hockey bros would be like, hey, can I get a free pair of Oakleys or something? Yeah. 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 You get, you would get that from strangers. People really? that just you go to a dinner party, you go to something, oh, hey, can you get me this or that? Right. Just normal. And so whenever I have conversations, oh, what do you do for a living? Oh, I'm an accountant. <laughs> Dude, the, the convo would just stop. Yeah. And, like, oh, I and here's no the thing. Idea about that if they asked me stuff, I could actually answer some things because my wife was an accountant. <laughs> and I will tell you, you that. Play it up, eh? I would tell you that my wife does not like that joke. <laughs> but I tell her, she goes, it's not funny. I go, it's funny. It's just not funny to you. <laughs> but I know enough about, you know, the, that industry to, to, get around any questions that I get. Right. So, and I did that because look, you either going to like me or not like me. Cause let's say in this case, we're hockey bros. You're going to like me cause I'm a good guy and I'm a good hockey player. And I'm a good teammate. Yeah, I'm your, or you're I'm not your right wing man. And we're going to go yeah. to battle here. Yeah. You're like me or not, or in spearfishing or whatever else you're going to like me for that endeavor. Not because of what you think I can get you, not because of uh, any kind of ulterior reason. Right. Yeah, yeah, totally. And, and I think later, you know, become friends, like, okay, now they know, okay, now maybe I'll tell them if it comes up or whatever, you know, and, and probably more so now that I've left Oakley, because during my time with Jim, you know, back in the day, and you, you might get this reference, everything was in the dome of silence, man. Right. Everything I, was I mean, on the I dome. Only, of, the, the, the thunder dome of silence. Yes. <laughs> the thunder dome of silence. But, you know, I was just, that was just kind of the environment I grew up in professionally you know it's just everything's secret everything's quiet because everybody wants to know what we're doing they'll see it when it comes out and then by then it's too late for them to emulate or copy yeah, and especially too like there's like you said there's patents of proprietary design mm-hmm. patents are pending for periods of time mm-hmm. stuff gets leaked that's mm-hmm. bad news man yeah so i just you know i just grew up not talking about it so now that i've left it's it's fun to talk. That's why I started my Instagram to just share because you know collectors would ask me questions or people would ask me, and that's why I decided oh, let's just share it and see what happens. And and uh, it's kind of cool, right? And oh, yeah, it's and great. it's grown that way. And then you know sharing knowledge and stuff is is cool. And then 
it's basically what I do in my profession, right? With my business, it's just more outwardly. The profession part is just kind of on the on the, the quiet side, right? Well, I think a lot of people are going to get great value out of this. It was definitely insightful into your design life and your life in general. And um, it's been great to get to know you here. Is there anything, you know, I think we'll end it there. We've been on for two hours, but oh, wow. <laughs> anything else you want to end it with or like uh, any last words or? No, um, I guess to your audience, you know, if, if you're into, I think the, the vintage world and creativity, you know, keep pursuing it, you know, try to challenge yourself and, See how you can put your spin on what vintage is versus maybe just easily, um, you know, emulating something that's already been done. I would say give yourself that challenge, you know, see, can you, can you add a twist to it that maybe you're the next thing, right? You're the next evolution of vintage. You know, I think that's a good worthy cause. um, Yeah. And and that, that. that, you know, to speak on that briefly, but there's. Vintage, we, we, sell, we sell used clothes. It's a simple concept, right? Mm-hmm. But there's a million things within this world that mm-hmm. can be innovated. How you sell it, how mm-hmm. you present it. Do you, do you make a new way to sell it? Do you make a new way to present it? Do you make a new way to source it? There's like, mm-hmm. be creative in all of the things. It doesn't have to be in designing something, but mm-hmm. it's just be creative in your own. Uh, absolutely. Just think of the word innovation, right? Just Make it better, little by little. You keep making it better, man. Lord knows where you'll be. Lord knows where we'll all be, right? You know, I mean, it's, you know, so I would say, you know, that's a good pursuit. Um, And then, you know, I'd invite anybody that wants to see more of the stuff I've done and maybe some of the things I'll do in the future, you know? You can follow me on on Instagram. Yeah, we'll we'll put that on the screen here. Definitely follow Peter on Instagram. Yeah. Well, that's been awesome. This has been very inspiring. It's been great. Uh, thank you for coming on with me. Oh, it's, it was a pleasure. Thank you guys for asking me. I really appreciate it. You know, this is fun. This yeah. is cool. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Signing off.